Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. They say he can't be killed. They say he drinks blood. Is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Vicky Vale. Bruce Wayne. And what do you do for a living? He's a tired old man. Can't run this city without me. Your luck is about to change. Terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. He's out there right now. I've got to go to work. This episode focuses on one of the biggest box office successes of its age, a milestone in comic book movies, a sea change for the way Hollywood promoted and handled its blockbusters, and the inspirational touchstone for one of the best animated shows of all time, empirically speaking. So no pressure for us to do it justice, then. Back with me are Gotham's big bad district attorney, the two-faced Joshua Garrity of Kane and Rince. Hello there. Emerging squawking from his home in the sewer <laughs> and sporting his customary monocle and jet-propelled duck, it's Neil Taylor from Game Burst and KDS 2.0. I thought you were going to call me Bob, actually, but okay, I'll, t- I'll take being the penguin. Clad entirely in green spandex and throwing out conundrums that even the smartest of us can't fathom, Paul Flying Muttley Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Hi there. Back for more frittering away of his birthday, cold-hearted Jerome McIntosh has promised he won't zap us with his freeze ray. Hello. And joining the boys, final-clad, cream-guzzling diamond fancier Miss Leah Haydu of Game Adult version 2.0. I thought I thought you were going to go the Vicky Vale route, but you went the Catwoman route. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm Hell no, I couldn't call you Vicky Vale. Christ, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not grateful. I'm just saying, you know... She's investigative. I think I'm probably going to switch roles around when, uh, when when Sharon turns up next week because she has a thing for uh, the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, like crazy thing. <laughs> okay, so if I don't make her Catwoman, she will scratch me. Scratch your eyes out, literally. Totally. Batman made four hundred and eleven million dollars on a paltry anyone for the budget. Not clue. Thirty-five yeah. million dollars. Jesus. <laughs> That's pathetic by today's standards. Yeah. Compared, oh, yeah. what was Avengers? Two hundred million. Two hundred and twenty million. Well, District Nine was more than that, and that was yeah. considered low budget. So yeah, that's an independent film these days. 
uh, compared with Batman and Robin, which came only eight years later, cost four times as much and made only $238 million, indicating the law of diminishing returns writ large in the days before Transformers. That's, you know, these days, I don't know how, but the Transformers films are getting progressively worse and making progressively more. Burton approached Sam Hamm, a comic book fan, to write the screenplay. Sam Hamm, comic book fan. <laughs> Sounds like a Viz character. It does. <laughs> Do you get Viz in America? No. It's kind of like the British Batman. <laughs> okay. Bullshit, <laughs> but funny. Ham decided not to use an origin story, feeling that flashbacks would be more suitable and that, and this is a direct quote, unlocking the mystery would become part of the storyline. He reasoned, you totally destroy your credibility if you show the literal process by which Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Hmm. Hmm. Nolan might have something to say about that, but... One scene in Ham's script has a young James Gordon on duty the night of the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents. When Ham's script was rewritten, the scene was deleted. And turned up many years later in a different movie. Yeah, yeah you, wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't want to make James Gordon a character in the Batman films now, would you? Clearly not. No, uh, seriously, uh, we'll talk about this in a bit, but Jesus Christ, Jim Gordon gets short shrift in these four big-budget uh, Hollywood blockbuster movies. Yeah, he, 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 yeah. <laughs> Especially by the end. Batman and Robin, oh my god. <laughs> when comic book fans found out about Burton directing a film with Michael Keaton starring in the lead role, controversy arose over the tone and direction Batman was going in. Ham explained, they hear Tim Burton's name and they think Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They hear Keaton's name and they think any number of Michael Keaton comedies. You think of the 1960s version of Batman and it was the complete opposite of our film. We tried to market it with a typical dark and serious tone, but fans didn't believe us. To combat negative reports on the film's production, Batman co-creator Bob Kane was hired as creative consultant. It's always good to get the author on. Almost, I mean, pretty much everything apart from uh, The 13th Warrior, which had Michael Crichton on as creative consultant, who eventually took over directing duties once uh, uh, John McTiernan left. This is Michael Crichton, the writer, not the director. Parallel to the Superman casting, a who's who of Hollywood top stars were considered for the role of Batman, with the likes of Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, oh God, <laughs> Tiger Blood himself, Pierce Brosnan, Tom Selleck, and Bill Murray being considered. Bill, Bill, Bill freaking Murray! I, I don't. I, D- that doesn't make sense. Any language. <laughs> And it is important to note this, Adam West suggested that he be considered for the role well, of Batman. of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty... I mean, I haven't actually got, I haven't got any essays on Batman. Like, there's a lot to talk about with this film, and I'm just going to go with much more sort of touch points on this, because we, we can go in and out and talk about the creative process, unlike the last film we talked about. Where we so, windbagged a lot. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think we did it justice, really, as much as it deserved. Okay, first thing that strikes you about this film... Actually, no, the first ever thing that strikes you is Danny Elfman's score. Holy shit, I love that theme, I love that theme, I love that theme. Yes, It's great. Like, um, this is back when uh, knowing that Danny Elfman was going to score your movie, that was, like, a really positive thing. Because now he's kind of... Lazy. He's a bit lazy and boring. He doesn't do hummable scores so much anymore. It's all just... 
But in six notes, he sums up Batman. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's so great, even the animated series uh, riffs off yep. of that soundtrack. And it's great. It's, it feels epic, but it also feels dark, the way Batman should feel. Um, I don't know if it's my favourite, because I actually think I prefer Hans Zimmer's... Um, oh, I fucking love the Zimmer and... Yeah. Uh, and, uh, just because it's... Howard score for the... the None of yeah, it just has a, a nuance that this soundtrack doesn't have. But it, this also, soundtrack is really the, great. The Nolan film scores are the, along with the Bourne film scores, the most influential for the past ten years. So many other scores have taken on yeah. properties of those those tunes. It was the first, um, the opening score for uh, Batman Begins. It's not hummable when you first listen to it. It's just it's almost more like noise. But then that kind of has pervaded throughout, and so many films now do that. Back to Danny Elfman. <laughs> so yeah, that's what you and you get the Batman symbol in the opening thing, which is a really great idea. It, it just it fits with Tim Burton's um, style as well, because Tim Burton's vision of Batman is gothic and is dark, but it is quite fantastical as well it's not like the Nolan film because Nolan's films feel very rooted in the real world yeah whereas um, Tim Burton's films feel like almost like an opera of you know epic proportions it's serious but it's not it's not real you could almost imagine that every one of Burton's films takes place in a single place named the Burtonverse good and bad and before we even carry on, Tim Burton has done some fucking shit films. I have, this is not one of them. I only have one word to describe Tim Burton. Overrated. Mm. Well, I wouldn't describe him as overrated. I'd describe him as inconsistent. Yeah. Because yes. he's all over the place. Yeah. Like, there are some films of his that I genuinely think are great. Like, I love Sweeney Todd. I think mm. Sweeney Todd's yeah. a great film. Superb. But then Big I watch Fish Allison... heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. And then I watch Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and, and then the biggest the pieces of poo I've ever seen. It's just what what is up with this guy? He's just all over the place. Well, isn't Dark Shadows currently uh, sinking? Oh, good! Please tell me it's going to flop, because then maybe, just maybe, they'll stop putting fucking Johnny Depp in everything just to make him a financial bullet point. I don't mind Johnny Depp as an actor. He's actually great sometimes. But they're putting him in movies to multiply the amount of money it makes. That's all they're putting him in for. I... Well, you, you've heard my, my rant on Dark Shadows. I love all of your sentences that start... I... Uh, well, I was about to say the Dark Shadows fans hate it. Mm. Well, see, that's the thing. I'm not even a dark... Sh- it's not even my rant. It's my mother's rant because, you know, my mother is is of the age where she watched the show growing up and is furious at what they have done to it. Like, the commercials will come on the TV when I'm watching TV with my mother and she just gets this look on her face like, I'm a cut a bitch. And if you know my mother, <laughs> that is not her. what she's like. She's like the sweetest, happiest person in the well, world. You described her in this very show as Molly Weasley. Exactly! See? And that... Yeah, imagine Molly Weasley getting real pissed off. Kind of like... Well, oh, my dark shadows, you bitch! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, she's gonna... She's gonna completely explode Tim Burton if she ever gets the chance, I'd imagine. I think she might, yeah.
Okay, so we're slightly off tangent here. <laughs> Just a little. Back to the, the intro sequence. Um, I've forgotten. It's it's you're journeying around the sort of dark gothic canyons, and it's sort of ding, da 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 ding, da 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 ding, and it's like you're a vampire bat flying through the night, and then it pulls up, and you've been flying around this massive monolithic Batman symbol. That's a great way to start a movie. And then it proceeds to fake you out. Yeah. 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 It kind of, I don't know, this, you know, if you're a kid going in and you don't know much about how, how, you know, what happened with Batman, it sort of sets up the same scenario as, as how Batman's parents were killed with this poor mugged couple. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much what might have, pretty much tells you what Batman's actually trying to do. Mm. Yeah, if he'd been there for when his parents were killed, mm. this is what, how it would have been. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that I didn't. Because I, I, I was trying to figure out why it is that I have such a huge irrational love for this movie, and I think that I've kind of, I've pretty much nailed it down to the fact that when I saw this for the first time, I I think that it was probably the first comic book movie that I had seen. Like I I can't come up with anything that I would have seen before that because I didn't see Superman until relatively late oh. uh, for me. So I, I, I'm pretty sure this would have been the first one, and I think that it it just kind of struck me in that way. But I didn't know much because I've I've always been more on the Marvel side of things than the DC side of things. So I didn't really know a whole lot about Batman. So I'm pretty sure that I missed that parallel the first time around, and that's something that you know on repeated watchings I, I have picked back up on and can appreciate more, but. Yeah, I think I think that kind of went over my head at the time. Mm. Oh, I did mine, but I was nine. Well, that's actually, I, I would have I would have been eight. Ten. So, um. I think when I was a kid, I tried to rationalise the decor of Gotham City and, go, and went, right. So this is sort of set in the forties. It does have that forties gangster th- yeah. feel to it, and Dick Tracy of, vibe to it. Yeah. That Not weird. The movie. Is it? I wouldn't call it a steampunk, but that's you know what I mean. Dark deco, dark deco stuff, crack it, and that's the probably the biggest thing from this movie. I love the most. Mm. It's mm. just I love that. Gotham is a character in this very much, in a way that it definitely wasn't in the uh, Schumacher ones. Well, nobody oh? was a character in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't get an idea of Gotham as a whole. It still very much feels like a set, but to a kid. You feel like Gotham is there. It, it has a personality. Like it feels it like a like place. It, it also looks like its name, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's gothic, and it's dark. And, it, and one thing that's important to note: <clears throat> campy Batman from the '60s never did anything at night. This Batman never does anything in the daytime. In fact, Batman, Batman never does anything in the daytime. Which leads me to a question: Why don't criminals just do all their crime in daylight hours? Don't make think that hard about it. But I think you are. Seriously, there's some really clever writers writing these comics. The the the, the Nolan films where Joker um, orchestrates that robbery in the um, the the bank in the Dark Knight. Why don't all the criminals? Yeah, do? but I think but at this something point we mentioned in the Marvel podcast a few weeks ago. Why Which don't they all just move out of New York? Yeah. <laughs> I think, though, with Batman, it's more the fact that Batman operates on the night because at that point, and this is the Batman I tend to prefer, is these... No one knows if he's real. Mm. So if he did something during the day and uh, towards the end of half of this movie where he does get seen by a lot of people, that sort of takes away some of the mystique. You go, oh, yeah. he's real. Whereas 
like the two the two muggers at the start of the movie they're talking about and they, it's sort of like the little urban legends that have sprung up about him yeah. like, oh he threw this guy off this roof which we'll get to later um, <laughs> you know he was completely drained of blood and you look in the background and he just drops down the only problem with that one scene and it's not this movie's fault it's from everything else that's followed it the line I'm Batman I can no longer be taken seriously for me. Alan Partridge. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, Alan Partridge. That I, not even stuff. Well, no, I you you have subjected me to Alan Partridge before. Not that particular bit, but um, yes, I, I get the reference. Gotham as a character, uh, debatable, but yes. Go to. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about Keaton's Batman. Um, I like Keaton's Batman. I I think um, he. It's not really his fault that he can't move his neck in the costume. That's just the costume. I actually think he can't move much of anything. Well, yeah. Look at the fight scenes. They're very carefully choreographed. You can't see anything. Yeah, but like his, he does have a presence to him. Like when he's grabbing the um, the uh, uh, mugger and he's holding him over the edge of the. That yeah, he he does feel intimidating and he does feel scary as Batman, and he's also equally a really good Bruce Wayne, and he I does a good he... job of um, differentiating. Uh, I can't speak words today. Differentiating, differentiating the uh, two personas, uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman, um, I and I like it without I resorting to the. I was going to um, say, I actually think Michael Keaton is the best Bruce Wayne. He may not be the best Batman, but he's, Bruce Wayne feels like a whole complete character. Uh, oh, even better than Bale? I yeah, I was going to say, I think Christian he's... Bale's a better Bruce Wayne. I think maybe Mike, Michael Keaton's actually a better Batman than Christian Bale, but I think Christian Bale's a better Bruce Wayne. I said to Sharon yesterday, I don't think anyone's a good Batman in live action even Christian Bale and that struck me because I was like I'd been going oh yeah he's the best Batman when it comes down to it Batman's really really hard to pull off in live action Mm -hmm. the reason Kevin Conroy is so fucking awesome is because he only has to put his voice into the character Mm -hmm. all of the other stuff gets done in animation in either um, Arkham City or or in the animated shows because uh, they they can make because of the limitations especially of the costume in Mm. this one you can't have that free-flowing free movement that Batman has, that almost teleporting ability that he seems to have. Yeah, he's supposed to be agile like a ninja, and he's, in this he seems like a giant rubber man. And, and even, in, even in the Bale one, though, he seems kind of awkward, and he doesn't, like, he doesn't move in that fluid way. He's kind of sp- they do a lot of sort of camera trickery, so it's like you see a sweeping movement so fast, and he's sort of throwing guys around the place. But when you actually see him on camera, he's still a little bit well, slow. I would say the best bit of Batman Begins that feels like sort of the animated Batman is the, the drug bust he does when he gets Falcone. That mm. feels like it, because you never really see him. He seems to be everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> That was funny. That was I don't know. I think I think I might agree with uh, with Keaton being my favorite as Batman. I think what I really like about him is Bruce Wayne, though, and this this kind of runs contrary. Well, well I don't know if it runs contrary to the comics, but it's it's. Uh, well, you guys tell me. I he seems more like just a guy as Bruce Wayne. Like he seems yeah. more like he's actually kind of jaded to all this stuff and doesn't really take into account the fact that he has all like the the later. Batman, or the later Batmans, the later Bruce Wayne's 
I think almost universally, they have kind of an idea of their status, of who they are, of the fact that they are extremely rich and, you know, have have this position and an obligation as that kind of member of society. Mm. Keaton's Bruce Wayne is more of a... Oh yeah, I've got I've got all this money, you know, but it, it's it's always been there, so he doesn't really have to think about it. So it just kind of it, it's not a thing. Yeah. yeah. Come to think of it, I've never been in this room before. Yeah. yeah exactly. Wayne in this one's very very much a Tim Burton character. You mm-hmm. think? Is the slightly Soft, awkward social outsider. outsider? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he seems kind of bewildered the whole time as well. Like he's not—he's not really working things out. He—he he seems to be more working things out in Batman Returns. But like, there's that bit where the Joker's going, "I have taken off my makeup," and he's staring at the TV, and he knows that Joker's basically saying, "I'm going to fuck up Gotham tonight," and regular Batman would just be like, gritting his teeth and grinding his fists and going, "Not my watch." But um, Keaton's just sort of, hmm. Oh, oof. wonder what we're going to do about this now. I guess we'll better go get the bat wing out, blow the dust off that thing. It's 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 like he's not getting into it, but that doesn't necess- it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like he's separated his two personas. Yeah, it does. It, it, the portrayal here it does feel like it's split. Per- Maybe split personalities isn't quite right, but it is separate personalities. Bruce Wayne's <laughs> one thing, and the the Batman is the other thing. It's tr- I think um, Bale makes his Bruce Wayne so intense, especially when he's privately talking to Alfred, that that he has to go that intense for Batman, because otherwise you're like, well, it's just Bruce Wayne, isn't it? He has to go, I'm super intense and angry about it. I actually think when, when it's just Alfred and um, Bruce Wayne in the Nolan movies, that isn't Bruce Wayne. I think that is Batman, if you know yeah. what I mean. It's Batman without the cowl on. Because the idea being that Bruce is basically the mask that he wears and... and uh, yeah, we'll talk about that for the, the Nolan films, but the the idea that the Bruce that everyone knows is just a front. Um, the, the, the split identity uh, perception <coughs> is really hard to do because Superman has the same problem. I don't think Clark Kent became an actual relatable character until, and I'm going to get shot for this, I think, the Lois and Clark Superman. I shoot you! You know what I mean? Clark Kent felt more of a character in that, and Superman felt like the mask, whereas... It's a really awkward thing to portray these dual identities. It's coming back to that thing that Bill said at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2. Okay. <clears throat> Speaking of masks people wear, Nicholson's Joker. This was the the big one. Nicholson had secured this role before even Tim Burton was on board. This was the huge one. Everyone was going to see Jack. Because the thing is, Jack Nicholson, before he puts on an ounce of makeup, looks like you'd imagine the Joker. He's got that mouth and that grin and that demeanour. And until, uh, well, it actually didn't take that long at all for Mark Hamill to come along and give us a, a, a different take on Joker to actually, you know, and it, I, I believe fully surpasses Nicholson's overacting. Um, but he got audiences in bed with the Joker. I see. I think Nicholson is brilliant as the Joker. I really yeah, do. I was going to say. I I, re- I don't think he's as good as Mark Hamill or mm. as good as Heath Ledger, mm. but I think this is a very good interpretation of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, for me, he he because the joke, the key to a great Joker is getting the balance right between being funny 
and scary. Mm. And I believe there are scenes where Jack Nicholson's portrayal is quite funny and hilarious, but also scenes that are genuinely quite chilling. I mean, the scene where he's talking to that um, dead dead body in the chair, uh, mm. the where he's just... You're like, a cold-hearted son of a bitch. I'm glad you're dead. That was chilling. That mm. was kind of creepy. And that's what you need to get right. And sure, I think there have been portrayals that have surpassed him. But at that point in time, that was the best Joker we had. Um, there haven't been that many Jokers since him which haven't surpassed him. Uh, it, it's debatable John DiMaggio's not as uh, compelling. Um, who else is there? Dude from The Batman. No, he's I, don't, from... I, I, won't, I definitely won't dispute that, um, that either Mark Hamill or uh, Heath Ledger have just better performances. But I also, on some level, don't think that it's that it's really fair to directly compare them. I mean, you have to directly compare them because it's the same general role. But they take such completely different spins on it. Like mm. just to take um, to take Ledger's Joker, for example, he's clinically insane. Like, and that's not to say that Nicholson's Joker isn't, but he's insane in a very different way. He's very calculating. He he has a logic to him. There's no logic to Ledger's Batman. He just wants to watch the world burn, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, it's a different kind of insanity to me. It's more chaotic. Well, each each Joker is perfect for the world they're inhabiting. Yes. Mark Hamill's yes. Joker is perfect for the animated series. Heath Ledger's Joker is perfect for the Nolan films. And Jack also Hitch's Mark Hamill's Joker adapted into uh, Arkham Asylum yeah. is more twisted. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson works in Tim Burton's very fantastical, big, epic opera version of Batman. So, yeah, I like him. I think he's good. And there are there are some scenes that are quite like I love the uh, TV commercial he has where mm. he's yeah. advertising oh, the smiley. He smile. don't look happy. <laughs> he's right. been using Brand X. Yeah, and, you know what? Massively, massively quotable. Almost everything he says in this film, once he's the Joker, is massively quotable. I found myself talking along with him the whole time. Like, you know, this town needs an enema. And almost everything he says, it's not that it's a brilliant line, it's just delivered with such kind of like Jack Nicholson just turning up and just having a whale of a time, uh, which is fun to watch. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't make sense, but oh well, it's a cool line. And the, the unmasking scene's brilliant. Where you see it all from the back and peeling the bandages off. Mm, that's classic. Oh, yes. It's fantastic. Gotham City always brings a smile to my face. Wing freak. Terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. I'm trying to work out, separate things about the Joker from decisions that Burton and company made regarding the film, and they're different. Okay, right sort of twinned in with the Joker actually because a lot of them pertain to him there are many things in this film which a lot of Batman fans are going to find somewhat objectionable would you folks care to list them 
Can we do the big one then? The one that really gets my goat and go for it. Batman doesn't kill people. When does Batman kill people? In this, uh, he kills the Joker. He blows up an entire factory full of the Joker as um, goons. I think that's what did, they refer to. Did they not have parachutes? No. No. Blows up a factory up full of people. <laughs> well, they were evil. Batman doesn't kill. No, completely agree. It's mental that Batman. And the the end where um, the Joker he actually orchestrates the Joker's fall to his death. Yeah. That is so contrary to uh, the Batman's man. He would tr- he would almost die to save Joker's life. He almost it, does it's pathological. Office. Yeah, it's pathological. He 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 can't let let, let deaths occur on his watch. I and actually, that's, that's key to the character. I just remember I meant to send Alex an article uh, mm-hmm. because early Batman did. Yeah, no, he shot dudes with, uh, with but, his gun. But the, this article, this sort of like, the guy talking about the genesis of early Batman says that really wasn't Batman. You know, the original Batman, the whole vengeance story thing wasn't until six months after his creation. Yeah. So, sort of the you can sort of make an argument that the early Batman isn't really Batman. He was more like the Shadow. Mm. But all of a sudden, in this Tim Burton film, he. I don't know if it's because they wanted to do the darker tone, but you, you obviously yeah, you have the factory scene where he, you know the two machine guns pop up out the side of the 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 Batmobile, creates the really really neat hole for him to go through, <laughs> you know, and he does the really bad CGI shield and then drops these little round balls and then we cut to outside and things exploding. I think it's close, I yeah. did read somewhere earlier on. Um, no goons were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, there was a writer's strike uh, um, during the making was, of the yes, film. And Ham had to jump. And the last, yeah, yeah, the last third was basically rewritten mm. by script doctors on the, you know, not on the fly, but at not the last minute. Not part of the unions, though. Yeah. yeah. So that actually that does stand to reason. So it would also explain why several things happen that seem incongruous with the Batman mythos. Maybe they didn't know much about Batman. Like for example, when he's flying the Batwing directly towards the Joker. And he pulls out the machine gun and shoots like, like two miniguns and fires up the street. Mm. What's he trying to do at this <laughs> point? <laughs> Batman like, wouldn't even have guns in any of his vehicles anyway. No, no, he wouldn't. You're absolutely right. And uh, Neil was talking about like, oh, maybe they were trying to go for a darker tone. That's why the Joker is there. The yeah. Joker is the one who does the fucked up shit. Yeah. Batman is the you know you the deal with incorruptible it. one. Oh, and Sharon said uh, of the Joker when he pulled out that really, really, really long pistol, oh. that gun is stupid. And yeah. she's right. <laughs> and it that gun wouldn't work. Thing. No. I uh, know. <laughs> it make any sense. It wouldn't be more accurate or more powerful. It would just be shit. It would just explode in your hand. Okay. Oh. Come on, explode in your hand. You couldn't you couldn't expect me to pass. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. That, was, that was sorry. Right, right. You know what? Fuck it. I'm not sorry. Other things that people might object to. Um, Just in have... general, I have one. Yeah, go for it. Um, well, I don't even know if this is necessarily an objection, but this is something that um, I, I, I feel like it fits here to talk about how long it took me after this to realize that um, Billy D. Williams was actually Two-Face. Harvey, yeah, goddamn dead. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily an objection because I think that um, yeah, I, I think that I, I would have liked to see him as actual Two Face. 
Uh, that was the plan. He was yeah, I know, I know. Back for returns, and then um, he was going to be in the third one. He was going to be the guy that... The, the, the original proxy script called for Two-Face, which is why he's in forever. Right. Uh, and he morphed into... Uh, well, some might say uh, he gender-bended into Tommy Lee Jones. Look at that misspeak go on. Never, ever going to let it go. Okay, now here's one thing that I find actually really very objectionable because of how it changed public opinion and understanding. When a woman who I worked with, uh, Gap, came back from seeing uh, Batman Begins, she went, oh, not as good as the last one. And she was talking about Batman and Robin. And I immediately started smacking my head against the table over and over again, praying, praying for death. But she then asked, and they got it wrong as well. The Joker killed Batman's parents. Oh, oh yeah. You always try and block no, that one. she did not. That was Tim Burton's decision. Yes, it was Joe Kill. Yeah, it was yeah actually, uh, now that you bring it up, I didn't think about it, but that's actually really crap. Like, yeah. the hu- it's too fucking neat. Yeah, you made you, me first. The Joker is meant to be. I don't know. I just he is the essence of random crime. He is yeah. the essence of chaos. He is what Bruce is there to stop. Bruce is trying to add order to the chaos of Gotham. He is not a very specific person who created Batman. It just yeah, it doesn't work for that for the relationship they've had in the comic books and you know in later films. It just feels w- wrong for. But that's Joker to be directly involved that's in the that. case, though. I, I, for the long time, I thought that. I honestly did. So mm. it's forgivable. This. It's, it's it's just put across in such a well. That's what actually happened. Why the, the only ex- sort of thing you could say is maybe the other guy who is unnamed even in the credits could have been Joe Chill. No, it's not good enough. It no. wasn't the Joker what done it. No. Uh, also, why didn't they get Christian Slater to play young Joker? That would have been awesome. <laughs> See you around, kid. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? I said I was going to quote this guy from the forums, and I'm going to be true to my word. And this is from Scythe. 
I move that the Burton Batman films be removed from this list. This is a list of vote for your favourite ba- three Batman films on the forums uh, for not actually being Batman films. Okay, that's probably unfair, but many Burton films and more Batman comics later, all I can see in them anymore is all of Tim's quirks rammed into a superhero movie at the expense of decent storytelling. He wasn't even trying to make his own version of an established character here. He just wanted the costumes to play with. My immediate response to this was, if we take off Burton's, which have received massive votes, I might add, for not being Batman films, then we have to take off Schumacher's for not even being films, just a farcical (laughs) Batman-themed Mardi Gras, which they are. Um, So, I mean, you guys want to debate this one and say Batman aren't Batman films? What I said on the forum is that regardless of intent, a good film is a good film. And... Tim Burton's Batman film, whatever his intentions were when he was making that film, it's a good product, and I like it. Um, and so it shouldn't matter. Like, you know what? You know what? Nolan's films are very, 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 very different from the comic book portrayals of those characters. True. Like, the Joker, you know, his skin isn't bleached white, you know? and stuff like that he wasn't dropped into a vat of chemicals he's uh, just a man objection what? your honour what uh, there's never been a concrete definitive mm, origin story knows. for the Joker okay sorry I'm uh, yeah sorry I'm assuming that the animated series yeah oh Alan uh, Moore did something like that for the killing joke didn't he he was dropped into a vat of chemicals that's what inspired the bit in Batman 89 but it's, it's never actually it's constantly changing that's why uh, in, uh, I don't know how I got these scars that's why he says two different complete origins there's never yeah. like it's part of his insanity he never well it's scarier it. if you can't pin it down to a specific time it's yeah. also a lot scarier if he didn't kill Bruce's parents I think he but I do think he was called Jack Napier <laughs> I think that's about the only thing that doesn't tend to right. change um, if, if you're going to say that you discount this for being a Burton movie playing around with the costumes and all the rest of it. It's a yeah. bit like saying, oh, I'm going to ignore the Alan Moore comics because they're very much Alan Moore comics compared to, say, the Frank Miller ones or the Denny Which O'Neill are ones. extremely Frank Miller, I yeah, might add. Yeah, That basically rules out auteurs altogether. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I can see where it's coming from. There's a lot of Burtonism in there. And I'm not a fan of these movies. I, I, I can watch them. I'm not. But it's not a seesaw. It's not like no. Burton at one end, Batman at the other, and the more Burton it is, the less Batman it is. It's, they're, they're not diametrically opposed opposites. No, what's no. the point of ever giving any property to any director if you don't want them to put some kind of personal stamp on it? And granted, yeah. this is a pretty big personal stamp, but I still I don't think that that disqualifies it at all. I can see why they chose Burton, because of his sort of style. I don't think it... I personally don't think it suits Batman, but again, that's my personal taste. I don't think they are... Burton playing with it, it's just Burton putting his stamp on them. Mm. Well, I, I, you see, I, I'd rather have a director take a property and do his own unique spin on it mm. than have a focus-tested mess mm. yeah. that's desperately trying to please Batman everyone. Wrong. Green Lantern. Uh. Well, Spider-Man Free. <laughs> Spider-Man oh, God, General. Yeah. Oh, you mean There's Spider-Man the... the Musical? Oh, turn off the dog. No. Mm-hmm. 
Alfred. He's alright. Yeah. He's charming. He's, nice. the, he's the link between these four films. You could imagine that they don't take place in the same universe, but Golf's Alfred and also the guy who plays Gordon is there, making you go, yep, it's all the same universe. Shit. You know, he, he is, he, you know, because he is that mainstay. I mean, it's hard to think of anyone else in that role. I mean, yeah, we now have um, Michael Caine doing it, but I, 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 I'm sorry, I think the best Alfred still goes to the animated series. Yeah, Actually, in general, most things go to the animated series. Yeah. Well, they had really? they had hours and hours and hours and hours of characterization yeah, at their disposal. Exactly. Um, well, I, I really like Michael Caine's Alfred. But I also really like Michael Caine's Alfred. I I do prefer it to animated series, but animated series have has the tops on so many other things. Yeah, but the, you know, the Michael Caine Alfred just just turns up and goes, "Yeah, hi, Christian. I'm going to steal your scene now." <laughs> I'm stealing every scene I'm in. The Lamborghini, then. Yes, well, yeah, less conspicuous. I don't know. I, I, I think that I, and, and I think this is another function of just this being the probably the first uh, comic book movie that I really saw was I, I really associate Michael Goff with Alfred, and, mm, and that's yeah, not to I say that too. I don't that I don't like Michael Caine or the animated series uh, Alfred, but I, I, he, he really kind of sticks in my head. He's a very sweet old man that, you know, as a kid you can immediately warm to, and he's sort of the, the way to liking Bruce is because if, if Alfred looks after him, then we can warm to Bruce through Alfred. Right. And uh, just specifically for him, just he's, through all the Batman movies that have been done, he's the character who's the most consistent, isn't he? Just he. Yeah. He, I mean, he's the one that you see the most as the same actor and the same character. So when he's is he dying in Batman and Robin, he's the only character you give a fuck. Yeah, why would you even care if Batman was dying at that point? Because it's George Clooney. Yeah. Who cares? Imagine if at the end of Batman and Robin, Batman had died. <laughs> yes! <laughs> okay. Good. You know, by that point, I might have been okay with it. <laughs> well, that's done then. I'm off. <laughs> Bane, you fool! Okay, right. <laughs> that wasn't Bane. That, that, that wasn't Bane, was it? That was just some poncy, twatty wrestler pretending to be Bane. Going, ooh, ooh. There's one bit where Bruce says something along the lines of, uh, I need you to you know, pull up a file on, on this person and then you know, go on a fact-finding mission for me. Dude, this <laughs> Washing your socks and making you vichyssois and making sure that you don't starve to death. Do your own fucking fact finding, you rich bastard! I'm more thinking, don't you have the bat computer for that? Yeah. You did no, no, 1989 also, was kind of before the internet, remember? <laughs> and also, he's meant to be the world's greatest detective. Yeah. Yeah. Sending Alfred off on his fucking lazy butt. What, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm attending a gala luncheon. Oh, that'd be why. The, the real backstory here is that Alfred is actually Batman without that. Um... <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> nope, that line just can't be taken seriously anymore. Um, Vicky Vale, anyone? Nah. Yeah. Nah. 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 Very, very 80s. This, this film is very, very 80s. Everyone's got shoulder yeah. pads, great <laughs> shark skin. She, she's also that, that really annoying sort of female character that needs to be rescued. Mm, needs to have everything yeah. explained to her. Yeah. Where did you get the camera from, by the way? Yeah! 
<laughs> that camera was too big for it to be carrying around in that bag. I'm sorry. How much do you weigh? With or without the camera? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, how how tall how tall is is Kim Basinger? anybody anybody know approximately? Is she is she a tall lady? Yeah, Sharon says something like the fact that, that she yeah, because 108 bullshit. <laughs> so she must have hollow bones or something. Yeah. She's a bird. She's part bird. <laughs> well, Hollywood starlets are anorexic, so they probably don't weigh out. But I mean, she doesn't look. I mean, she's she's a reasonably proportioned person, you know. Yeah, she's person. not super skinny. She yeah. looks normal. So. So Batman should have said bullshit. 108. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's in power. Okay, so Sidney Knox as a character. You know that bit where he goes, if you're going to take pictures of me nude, you're going to need a long lens. That implies his penis is very, very small. Small. I know. I thought that. I'm a photographer. (laughs) Seriously? You've never done photography, have you, Knox? I just think this is a weird movie to me. It feels long, it moves slow, and a lot of the other characters are just, like, forgettable. Mm. What's the point of Bob? Someone explain this to me. Poor Bob. He's just trying to help. And the Joker shoots him. Good. Couldn't the Joker shoot himself? <laughs> I, I had a particular affinity for Bob the Goon because I had a Bob the Goon figure. Mind you, to be fair, there wasn't any Harley Quinn to be a foil, so... Mm. Yeah, no, I was... Yeah, I was thinking that. That he... Bob the Goon exists so that the Joker's not just talking to himself mm. yeah. time. Which is uh, now filled by Harley. yeah. He's effectively Otis, but not quite so bumbling. And, and yeah, Harley is the, the, the character version of Bob the Goon. Pals, uh, they're not bad people. Maybe we, uh, we give them a couple of days to think it over. Reason now. Okay. You are a vicious bastard, retaliant. <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs>
Prince. <laughs> no. And as I said on Twitter, oh, Prince, you expensive twat. <laughs> that, that might have been my favorite, uh, my, my most proud cover band moment ever. Which is, what was that, just expensive twat the is expensive a Prince twat cover band? expensive twat is, in fact, our Prince cover band, yes. See, I thought it was the artist formerly known as expensive twat. Oh, possibly. I mean, that's that's our Prince cover band. Cover band. Hi, uh, we've. I mean, folks, if you live in the UK, apparently not the USA, look for Prince's official no, video no. for the Bat Dance. No. If you're in the US, then and, thank God you. And and Party Man, because Jesus Christ was that guy confused. <laughs> he's like he's like I want to be Batman. I want to be Joker. I want to be them both so much. I'm going to be them both at the same time. <laughs> I'm actually going to be Two Face. Yeah, it's like, that's not even the Joker. That's Two-Face. You, ah, so, yeah. I, I, I'm just going to check, see how much Prince asked for for this, but I'd imagine quite a lot. Because he did the Batman soundtrack, which, by the way, is fuck all to do with the film. And goddamn terrible. Yeah, I mean, what's that song at the end? I don't know, the moment the credit started, I turned off. Something like that, yeah. But, I mean, these four Batman films have a history of having entirely fucking unrelated music tied to them. Like, they had R. Kelly um, for Batman and Robin, <laughs> and the god-awful U2 song in Batman Forever. And I think the only good one, actually, is Face to Face by Susie and the Banshees in um, Batman Returns. Oh, dude, what about Seal? Oh, yeah, Seal's good. <laughs> I do quite like that one. But, uh... Yeah, so it's so often... It's, it's yeah, so but the soundtrack, the soundtrack stuff shows you how the studios actually at the time, and probably quite uh, still do, especially Warner Brothers, feel about comic book movies. They don't take them seriously. They take them as money, as cash cows. There's yeah. no other way to explain something as bad as Green Lantern. There was no care put into that movie. There was no soundtrack for that film. That's why it went wrong. I mean, the person who really made out money-wise on this one was Nicholson. Jackson. Yeah, he, he yeah. required a percentage of the gross. And made himself $60 million. $60 fucking yeah. million. Dollars. To date, because he's still making money off it. Seriously? From DVDs and Blu-ray residuals. Yep. Every time there's a new format, Jack makes out. Great, now I regret buying the goddamn DVDs. There's a reason why I was quiet about Jack Nicholson. I don't, got- like, I don't like Jack Nicholson at all. Oh, why? Right. As a person. I don't like it. I don't like his acting. I don't like his... Did he hit a cat with his... Did he kill your parents or something? <laughs> well, no, sorry. That was... Uh, <laughs> I'm bad, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't get the Jack Nicholson thing. I, I, I don't. It just blows my mind. I've never seen any... No, I take it back. I've seen one film I like with Jack Nicholson. No, I hate The Shining. Have you seen one fly, flies over the cookies? And that's the one movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. What about A Few Good Men? Sharon's about to drive to Nottingham and smack... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll the catalogue. I'm sorry, I don't like Jack Nicholson. If I see he's in the movie, he's just oh. that actor that makes me go. Oh, oh. Listen, I just, I, I can't. I'm sorry. The Shining is my favorite horror movie. I can't respect you anymore. See, that's that's not actually Jack Nicholson. That's two of my things I don't like. I don't like Cooper either. What? Oh, what? Jesus Christ! <laughs> You're making enemies every second. Uh, I'll, I'll stand with Neil on the Cuba thing. <laughs> Apart from The Shining and the first half of Full Metal Jacket. But Space Odyssey. Oh, in 2001. Space Odyssey is pretentious twaddle. On a side oh, note, Batman. Yeah, 
<laughs> Tim Burton hired Danny Elfman, his collaborator on Pee Wee's Big Adventure in Beetlejuice, to compose the music score. For inspiration, Elfman was given The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, read this one, it'll scare the shit out of you. Elfman was worried as he had never worked on a production this large in budget and scale. In addition, producer John Peters was sceptical of hiring Elfman, but was later convinced when he heard the opening number. That would convince pretty much anyone. Peters and Peter Goober wanted Prince to write music for the Joker and Michael Jackson to do the romance songs. Elfman would then combine the style of Prince and Jackson's songs together for the entire film score. Why didn't that happen? (laughs) Burton protested the idea, citing, My movies aren't commercial like Top Gun. Fuck you, Tim. (laughs) I give you Alice in Wonderland. Fuck you. Wait, 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 wait. When when did you say this? When did Tim Burton say this? Turd Burton. Turd Burton. That is his new name. 1989. Uh, it was 1989. Turd Burton said that. Okay, so at that time, I, I, you know, I could Did let him get away with that Two comment. Two movies? Well, yeah, well, that's what I mean. He could get away with that comment back then. I'm an artist. But... In 2012, as Tim Burton no. said that, you just get a right He's slap around the face. Elfman and... <laughs> I love this next line. Elfman enlisted the aid of Oingo Boingo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sentence you don't ever expect to have to say. Led, well, yeah, neither do you have to uh, ever expect someone to say, dude, what about Seal? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've said all kinds of things today I have not intended Ooh. to uh, ever say Ooh. in my life. I didn't know this one. Elfman enlisted the help of Oingo Boingo, lead guitarist Steve Bark, uh, Bartek, and Shirley Walker to arrange the composition for the orchestra. Shirley Walker, folks. Anyone? Uh, I should know that, but I don't did the score for the animated series. All of that stuff for Mask of the Phantasm, she scored herself. And well, she's a very talented lady. She is now no longer with us, and that is a goddamn tragedy. Oh, God. Because I would imagine she's probably more compelling these days than Elfman. Elfman was later displeased with the audio mixing of his film score. <laughs> Batman was done in... Elfman is displeased. Batman was done in England by technicians who didn't care. And the non-caring showed, he stated. I'm not putting down England because they've done gorgeous dubs there. I think he is. But this particular crew elected not to. Batman was one of the first films to spawn two soundtracks. One of them featured songs written by Prince. As Shaun of the Dead said, chuck it. Well, <laughs> well, the other showcased Elfman's score. Both were successful. A compilation of Elfman's opening credits were used in the title sequence theme for Batman the Animated Series, also composed by Shirley Walker. Okay. Um, just quickly, an interesting point that I think might be true, but you can edit this out if you find out later it's complete bullshit. But didn't um, Batman, uh, the this film changed the age rating system yes. in the UK. Yes. Um, there had been PG-13 yeah. since um, Temple of Doom. PG-13 was instated for. In America, in the UK, it was basically just all the PG-13s that were too extreme became 15s. All the PG-13s that were, could be cut were cut down to PGs. Batman got a 12 in the cinema, but there was no 12 on uh, video at the time, so it had to get a 15 on video. 
And Josh will be happy at this because Spider-Man came along and changed the 12 rating to 12A. Yes. Uh, I think the first 12 on video might actually have been Philadelphia because the sensitivity of the subject matter meant that it it required more people to be able to see it. So more than just... It it didn't just get a straight 15. So I don't know why they thought, well, 12 in the cinema. I suppose there's no point doing an equivalent on video. Yeah, that is odd. That is very odd. It took years. I'll double-check that. Paul Shotton, of course, could help us. He, is, he should be working for the BBFC. If anyone from the BBFC is uh, listening, just give me, drop me a line. I will put you in touch with Paul Shotton. He should be working for you. He knows his stuff. Okay. So the other thing that people might find somewhat objectionable... Oh, no, we've already talked about it. Killing the Joker. It's not just that Batman killed the Joker. It's that the Joker shouldn't die. I- to always exist, to be the diametrical opposition to Batman. This is what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force, you know. I thought you said this happens when Tim Burton gets to do a film. (laughs) Well, no, it's not a Tim Burton thing. I I, I don't think... I'm not sure how Superman did this, but um, most comic book movies have this horrible habit of killing the villain. Uh, let's understand that. Back and back in the Superman films. I think he wasn't in three, although he had originally intended to be, but I think the script was so bad that... Uh, Gene, <laughs> Gene Wilder went, yeah, no, no. Gene Wilder? You always do that. Whenever we talk about Gene <laughs> Wilder. Hey, would it be more interesting Lex Luthor? I actually think it might. <laughs> now that you mention it. Oh. Okay. Mm. Interesting link. He was in Sh- Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Which is the best film. Which, which is, appro- you know, approximately 17 bajillion times better than <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's mathematical working out right there, folks. Yeah, it is. I do like the bit where the Batwing goes up to the moon and then hangs there for a second and then comes back down. That's great model. That, like, it's a that, wonderful that's, that's an iconic scene, though. Yeah. It's just the bits after that that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, bell Tower and all the walking up and all that what's stuff. The, what's the deal with the Bell Tower? Why is it every time a villain goes up into a Bell Tower they have to destroy the bell so it falls back down? Yeah. I, actually, I, I do have one other thing with this movie and it might just be a me thing and you know how I feel about practical effects. I do. Well, does this... The I know people like the look and we've talked about Gotham but it feels like it's all shot on the set. Nothing yeah, really it's, feels real. It's, it's actually on Pinewood, I believe. Yeah, it is Pinewood. It was the most expensive film in Britain, uh, made in Britain at the time. It was, what, was eight, the... thirty-five whole million dollars. Wow. And the, that's the, the marketing between... budget of a small film these days. The link between that and Aliens as well. Yep, I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> Aliens was shot just three years previously. And Pinewood. And when they went to film this, they found the set. They found the alien set. With the eggs and everything. The egg you chamber are set. shitting me. They haven't <laughs> How do you lose that set? Happened. It was in um, Battersea Power Station, I think. Oh, yeah, because... Yeah, they, they, they filmed could've... it there and they just left it because it was a condemned building anyway, so... Yeah, because they couldn't drive the... Um, out of here! They couldn't drive the APC in because the floor couldn't take the weight, if I remember oh, yeah. correctly. Yeah, I do remember that. And the set was all still there, apparently, when they went to film. Could you imagine just being a kid on a dare breaking into Battersea Power Station and finding the freaking alien set? Brown trousers time or what? (laughs) Queen still in the corner going... (laughs) Not not the alien queen. Queen. (laughs) (laughs) 
Brian May's hair in the corner. <laughs> Animatronic Freddie, Mer- Freddie Mercury. Mercury? You know. Okay. Um, anything else on one of the most successful huge films? Well, apparently the people were going nuts over the trailer for this. Now, I've watched this trailer. Compared to something like, I don't know, the trailer for The Avengers, you're just like... <laughs> Well, they just sort of cobbled together unfinished bits of stuff and threw it out there. People were apparently paying to go and see movies that had this trailer bef- on playing beforehand and then leaving. I remember the hype. Remember what happened before the internet? <laughs> <laughs> People were paying $25 oh. on videotapes at conventions. That's crazy. It's a 90 seconds and it's not that good. I think I'm going to put that. You'll have heard it at the beginning of this show. That's the one I used. Um, weren't most trailers back then kind of crap? Though, yeah. To be uh, honest. Trailers are subjective anyway, because all of them now seem to copy the Transformers stroke Inception style of blinking in something, blinking out to black, then blinking yeah, in something else. Throwing buildings down. Yeah, you. Yes, Look, you know, like the Avengers trailer. Yeah, even the Avengers, even Mass Effect 3 fell for the whole buildings will be destroyed thing. And actually, the, the one thing that really annoys me about film trailers is when they show you a scene, but they re-edit it to, like, they, they'll show you it moving in just regular motion, and then they'll speed it up, because it's like, look, we get that we've got a limited time on this trailer, we have to, m- to change this pan around to go really, really fast. And it just looks like you folks can't pay attention for more than three seconds. Or, or, or another good one for trailers. I can't. I haven't seen them do this for a while, but they've done it before yeah. when they put spoilers in the flipping trailer. I can't remember many films where they've done that, but it I has think. been done. And there, the other thing, there are tons of romantic comedies where they basically tell you the entire plot finished, of the including film, including the run to the airport. Um, actually one thing I really hate especially if it's supposed to be a scary film and especially if the film is actually of a much higher calibre than this they even did this for the film The Road which is a very serious film when they show you something scary they go to negative uh, picture for one second and go so it's like you know, a, a skull on a spike, and they go, and you're like, yeah, but in the film, it's actually not like that. And it's like, it's it's kind of like an usher just sort of, you know, just checking to see if you're paying attention by going, while you're watching the trailer. I think trailers, okay, it's going to be scary. I get it. Trailers are a fine art, and the best trailers that you tend trailers to find can be a fine art. But the best trailers you tend to find are when trailers are actually done by the directors, which nowadays is mm. almost impossible because trailers are actually farmed out. Mm. Yeah. So did Nolan do all of his ones for the uh, upcoming Batman: The Dark Knight Rises? I'm not sure, but I think he had definitely had a hand in them because they're the Batman trailers are far too subtle to have been done by a PR department. Yeah, if that makes sense. The well, they no- deliberately hide a lot of the details. They give you yeah. an idea of what's going on, but there's hmm. nothing solid for you to grasp onto. So you're like, oh, I wonder what's going on there. It, it's a proper trailer. That's what a trailer should be. Yeah. It's not We're a not... car. Yeah. yeah, that tells you too much. That's the opposite yeah. of, of that. Yeah, yeah that, that's the, yeah that's that a... tells you that thing's going to turn into sort of a bat. Although I will say I was very excited. The the Amazing Spider-Man has got a four minute long trailer, and that is a, I, I I must see that movie now. I wasn't sure before, but I saw that four minute one and went, finally someone got it right. I'm very excited for that film. <laughs> I really like Spider-Man too. That is all I will say. <laughs> um, I no, I'll say that because I'm not saying that the Raimi ones aren't good, but there's certain 
elements lacking from the Raimi's. I like Spider-Man's one and two, but I don't like Tobey Maguire yeah. very much or uh, Kirsten Dunst, uh, and that's going to play in. We're going to talk about them for the uh, upcoming yeah. Gonzo Spider-Man shows, but um, that that's something of a handicap for me for, for those films now. Um, right. Uh, so yeah, no. Just to go back to the the Batman buzz that people were tearing posters out of bus shelters to but take them home. It's kind of crazy. You, I, I kind of miss stuff like that when you could get that hype because there wasn't the internet. You know, you couldn't find the trailer easy. And how exciting it was to go to the cinema to see. Mm. You, you would get there early. You wouldn't see. You didn't want the commercials, but there wasn't that many of them back then. But you had to see the trailers. You had to know what was coming. Mm. And I, for the record, my favourite was the teaser for Jurassic Park. Ooh. Oh, what? Hang on. That was the thing with the amber and the yeah. and the the mosquito, wasn't it? That. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what happened. I remember that it was good. I remember there was actually there was a teaser that was much better than the film. Was the Godzilla one? Remember yeah. there was a kid sort of looking around a museum with a, with a yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah. And she's looking at a T Rex uh, skeleton, and there's a sort of boom sound. And you're like, oh, T Rex coming, and then a giant foot comes in and crushes the T Rex skeleton, and it's like Godzilla size does matter, bitches. And <laughs> then the film turned then, out to suck. Yeah. Then bad. we watched the film and went, that's not Godzilla. No. That's some weird lizard designed by Patrick Totopoulos. <laughs> That's a lot of fish. New and improved Joker products! With a new secret ingredient! Smiley. What is this? Now, let's go over to our blind taste test. Love that Joker. Where's it coming from? I don't know. Uh-oh. You don't look happy. He's been using Brand X. Joker brand. I get a grin again and again. Oh, 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 oh. That luscious tan, those ruby lips and hair color, so natural, only your undertaker knows for sure. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Where can I get these fine new items? Well, that's the gang. Chances are you bought them already. <laughs> Love and Joker. So remember, put on a happy face. <laughs> so it was massively, massively popular at the time and hugely pervasive. And like I said, it changed Hollywood because suddenly it became this thing that blockbusters could be now aimed at. Well, blockbusters could happen. I mean, they've, they've done blockbusters before, but to actually make it a big friggin' summer movie, this was huge, this was new, and um, it, it also it gave comics credibility, because it's like, now suddenly they can be done. And, and then, basically, that paved the way for a, a series of shitty Batman films, and then when Spider-Man came out, that reinvigorated the comic book movie market, and to a lesser extent, X-Men. Wasn't X-Men first? And to a lesser extent, X-Men. I was going to say, because I would say X-Men did it more than Spider-Man. I think really? Spider-Man came in... I could be wrong. I, might I, think, I, I think no. X-Men People. and Blade, um, respectively, kind of helped, you know, mm. nudge it towards that. But it was really Spider-Man, Spider-Man was where it completely one. exploded. Like, yeah. after Spider-Man, we were getting one every year, weren't we? Like Daredevil and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, Marvel went all out. Hang on, let me just check the the the. Uh... 
Because, I mean, Blade, as we all know, didn't make huge amounts of bank. Uh, X-Men cost 75 million and made 296 million. That is not, not small potatoes. That's pretty good. Uh, let's see. So it's got 296 to beat. And if we're getting this out, that's the one layer. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't actually watch it. I just looked it up because I figured, you know, we're still talking, so I wouldn't watch it right this second, but um, there you go. $821 million. For Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay, so um, that is a, that's, that's the scaling equivalent of Batman for, for sort of the next generation. And I suppose the next one up would have been Dark Knight, really. And then, night or, and then now Avengers cause I suppose you're, you're pushing that forward to the Avengers I mean there's not that much difference between Avengers and Dark Knight in terms of box office right now is there well put it this way 19 days 1 billion I'm losing that bet you have to hold up your pinky for that one <laughs> I'm losing that bet so badly how, how long did it take for Dark Knight to reach a billion because I don't think it was 19 days was it it was more like I don't know it was uh, a couple of months yeah, I think it was. Because uh, Dark Knight was, uh, I think, sort of word of mouth. Because everyone who'd seen Batman Begins went and saw it. But people went, oh crap, this is something else. Hang on, let me just check the numbers on Batman Begins. Because Batman Begins, because Batman and Robin had been so terrible, it really hurt. You know, people people didn't want to go and see another Batman film. Well, and I- it got $372 million. Which I is a lot, but not... I mean, that, uh, it cost 150 so that's not much more. I remember going, I want to say it might have been one of the Alien Predators. I know I'd gone to the, the premiere seeking at Showcase, and this teaser tra- trailer came on, and it was, it was the teaser trailer for Batman Begins. And well, there. AVP was 2004, so that would have been about the right time. I think it, I think it was that, but I'm not sure. But I remember the teaser tra- trailer, and it was very un... Like the ones before, because you didn't. All of a sudden, about halfway through, I think someone in my crowd went, "Shit, it's Batman!" Yeah, no, it can't be. And then it was. It was like, oh, yeah, because it starts off. He's in Tibet, and he's sort of you know talking about I wandered the the world looking for vengeance, and then uh, yeah, turns out it's Batman. Uh, Dark Knight cost well took over just over a billion, so basically it made three times what uh, Batman Begins did. So I wonder how many people went to see that without having seen Begins at all. I should imagine... I would guess quite a few people, because yeah. with Dark Knight, as the whole Heath Ledger, he died thing. Oh, so course, they're yeah. all seeing it, seeing it out of curiosity. Okay, we are somewhat off-tangent. But at the same time, it's all we're talking about the, the legacy of Batman, the, the 89 film. It's, this really did change things. And uh, looking at the actual poll... Let's look at the poll, shall we? Alex, leave your poll alone. (laughs) I can't. Some interesting results are coming off this poll. (laughs) Right. Don't stick your tongue on it. At the moment, and I'll just update you folks uh, all the time as we're uh, uh, we're going on this series, because there's going to be... There's nine more shows after this one. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Batman the Movie, the 66 version, has got one vote from Xanteriad. Eight... Batman 89 has got 16% of the votes. Batman Returns, 11%. Mask of the Phantasm, 6%. Batman Begins, 21%. The Dark Knight, 31%. Oh, can we please mention how many Batman Forever and Batman and Robin have got, please? (laughs) Oh, and uh, Return of the Joker has got uh, 8.3%. And Batman Forever and Batman and Robin have got 
zero. <laughs> Nothing. And Batman, year, and Batman Year One has got zero because that's what happens when you don't release it in this country. We can't, we can't give you box office results if you won't bother distributing Warner Brothers. I was trying to come and, up with a way of blaming Jeff Loeb, but I just can't. <laughs> Wrong company. Jeff Loeb. <laughs> exactly. Well, he wrote the Long Halloween, which followed on from Year One, and thus it's Jeff Loeb's fault. <laughs> Fair enough. Can we blame him for Superman in the recent animated movies having eyeliner? Oh my god, I think we can. Yeah, Fuck sure. you, Jeff Loeb. Why not? Fucking <laughs> Jeff Loeb. I don't know. They, they might not cancel it. <laughs> I bet they I will. I don't know, because I'm actually... Just an update. I'm actually getting into Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the second season. It's getting good. Like I said, I'm really glad. And it is definitely getting good. Uh, recommended, folks. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Now available in a handy Series 1, 1 to 4 disc box set. Or on Netflix. <laughs> or on, are you on Netflix with that? Yes. Oh, cool. Nice. Okay, right. That is it for Batman 1989. Anything that we have to mention, uh, we will talk about next week, where we talk about Batman Returns. Unless I get hold of a Blu-ray player really, really fast, in which case we're doing Aliens. I would like to thank my guests tonight, Joshua Garrity of Cane and Rinse. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. He is whip quick, let me tell you, folks. <laughs> the speed of a puma. Neil Taylor of Game Burst. Quack, quack, he's a shit lightning. Actually, do that in the penguin voice. I don't think I can. <laughs> I, I, I'm like you. I don't do impressions because they're all terrible. I do impressions all the time and they're almost all awesome. In your own mind. You okay. In your own mind. <laughs> Keep going on like that. I might not invite you back next week. All right, I'll give you that one. Damn good. Thank you. Uh, birthday boy Jerome McIntosh. Oh, what? And flying Motley Paul Gibson. Thank you. And thank you very much for joining us for the second part. Because uh, this was all in one uh, one session, folks. We did the Batman 66 earlier this evening, and I think we're a little battered out right now. You guys you guys don't sound tired at all. Yeah. <laughs> we're two, a little spongy. <laughs> two down, nine to go. And that's it for this week. Uh, who, who shall I leave, leave us on? Shall I do the Prince with his... Um, Not the bad dance. No, no, do it. Do it. No. Scandalous. <laughs> Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> Come closer. Feel what you've been dying for.
Batman Returns. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. Save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance, she can sink her claws into. You can't never go. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins, thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham! This is the third of the Batman shows. This episode focuses on the follow-up to one of the biggest box office successes of its age, a milestone in comic book movies, a sea change for the way Hollywood promoted and handled its blockbusters, and the inspirational touchstone for one of the best animated shows of all time. Not that movie, it's 1992 sequel, Batman Returns, a film I've long enjoyed far more than its predecessor. Like the first, it brought back a classic Batman villain to the screen. Two, in fact. The thinking possibly being we can't match up to Nicholson's Joker in either star power or class of antagonist, so put two B-listers and they add up to one A, right? And Burton got to exert his influence and put a far more personal touch into this film, making it clearly the work of an auteur. And everything that implies, if you know Burton. Back in the Batcave with me... The ghost with the most, Neil Taylor of Game Burst and KDS 2.0. Surely the ghost that walks. No, I'm tying it in with Burton stuff, you fool. I don't want to be tied in with bloody Burton. Fine, scissor-handed man-child, Neil <laughs> Taylor of Game Burst and KDS 2.0. <laughs> Stitched together and brought back from the dead, Paul Flying Muttley Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Sounds about right. Purveyor of the closest shaves in Fleet Street, Mr. Jerome McIntosh, also of Gonzo Planet. Can't say anything against that. And fresh from her 30-story drop, but feeling so much yummier, Sharon Shaw of Gonzo Planet. Hello. 
After the success of Batman, Warner Brothers was hoping for a sequel to start filming in May 1990 at Pinewood Studios. They spent $250,000 storing the sets from the first film. Did anyone recognise any of the sets from the first film in this, this one? No. Nope, me neither. What a waste. <laughs> Tim Burton had mixed emotions from the previous film. I will return if the sequel offers something new and exciting, he said in 1989. Otherwise, it's a most dumbfounded idea. It's a direct quote. Meanwhile, Sam Hamm, comic book fan from the previous film, <laughs> delivered the first two drafts of the script while Bob Kane was brought back as creative consultant. Uh, Ham's script had the penguin and Catwoman going after hidden treasure. Not a euphemism. Dissatisfied with the Ham script, Burton commissioned a rewrite from Daniel Waters. Sharon, any idea what else Daniel Waters might have done? I'm guessing I should know since you directed this at me, but I. You don't like it? It's got Banana Rider in it. Late '80s, very dark and twisted. Heather's. Yeah. Ah. Daniel Waters. So you'd think that'd Thanks, be good. Neil. Uh, Waters came up with a social satire that had an evil mogul backing a bid from, for the mayor's office by the Penguin. Uh, Waters reported, I wanted to show that the true villains of our world don't necessarily wear costumes. The plot device of Penguin running for mayor came from the 1960s TV series episodes His Another Penguin and Did Another Penguin. Uh, Waters wrote a total of five drafts. Max Schreck was also a reference to actor Max Schreck, known for his role as... Uh, teeth Vampire Nosferatu Nosferatu Teeth Vampire <laughs> <laughs> As Captain Orlock in Yes Nosferatu Is that you Paul? I've got yeah. to stop Just saying things That come into my head Teeth Vampire Blue <laughs> According to casting director Marion Doherty Burton was reportedly Uncomfortable with casting Christopher Walken as Shrek On the basis that The actor scared him <laughs> Oh <laughs> What What's wrong, Tim? Tim, come for a drink with me. Seriously. Okay. Burton hired Wesley... I will continue to do my shitty impressions. Burton hired Wesley Strick to do an uncredited rewrite. Strick recalled, When I was hired to write Batman Returns, Batman 2 at the time, the big problem with the script was the Penguin's lack of a master plan. Warner Brothers presented Stick with warming or freezing Gotham City, later to be used in Batman and Robin. Brilliant. Thanks, Warner Brothers. How long did it take you to come up with that one? Surely penguins would want it cool, so what would be the point of warming it up? Strick gained inspiration. Could, could you maybe warm it up, Gotham City? Strick Giant gained- spider in the third act. Yes, could, it, could, it, could Superman maybe fight a polar bear with a knife? Strick gained inspiration from a Moses parallel that had Penguin killing the firstborn sons of Gotham. A similar notion was used when the Penguin's parents threw him into the river as a baby. Harvey Dent appeared in early drafts of the script, but was deleted. Waters quoted, Sam Hamm definitely planned that, and I flirted with it. Having Harvey start to come back and have one scene of him where he flips a coin, and it's the good side of the coin, and so he goes, maybe next time, baby, deciding not to do anything. So you had to wait for the next movie. And yeah, that would have been Billy Dee Williams again, wouldn't it? Robin appeared in the script as he did in the first script, uh, for the first one, but uh, was deleted again due to too many characters. Waters feels Robin is the most worthless character in the world, especially with Batman as the loner of loners. 
Robin started out as a juvenile gang leader who became an ally to Batman. And Robin was later changed to a black teenager who's also a garage mechanic. Brilliant. Waters explained, He's wearing this old-fashioned garage mechanic uniform and it has an R on it. He drives the Batmobile, which I noticed they used in the third film. Marlon Wayans was cast and signed. No! <laughs> True story. And signed for a sequel. The actor had attended a wardrobe fitting, but it was decided to save the character for a third installment. And I'd imagine um, Joel Schumacher had a bit of a thing for Burt Ward, so he wanted someone who looked exactly like that, hence Chris O'Donnell. Michael Keaton returned after a significant increase in his salary to $10 million. I'm assuming he was kind of pissed off about the fact that Jack Nicholson made about 18 times what he did in the first one and is still making money today. Uh, anyone know who was originally cast as Catwoman? Uh, it was Annette Benning. After Burton saw her performance in The Grifters but dropped out due to pregnancy. Raquel Welch, Jennifer Jason Lee, Madonna, <laughs> Ellen Barkin, Cher... <laughs> Bridget Fonda and Susan Sarandon were then in competition for the role. Sean Young, who was originally cast as Vicky Vale in the first film, if you remember, wasn't she originally going to be in Indiana Jones as well? And, like, you know, she, she couldn't do that, and, then, like, she got really pissed off. And just, yeah, Sean Young, who was originally cast as Vicky Vale in the first film, believed the role should have gone to her. Young... <laughs> visited production offices dressed in a homemade Catwoman costume, demanding an audition. Yeah, so Burton did not say, hey, you, lady, you're clearly unhinged and you've made your own Catwoman costume. You're no good for playing Catwoman. <laughs> he went, no, this gives me an idea, methinks. <laughs> Burton was unfamiliar with Michelle Pfeiffer's work, being an uneducated prick who had never seen the fabulous Baker Boys, but was convinced to cast her after one meeting. Pfeiffer received $3 million salary, $2 million more than Benning, and a percentage of the box office. Pfeiffer took kickboxing lessons for the role. DeVito had to put a combination of mouthwash and red and green food colouring in his mouth to create a grotesque texture of some weird ooze. That is in direct quotes. They just needed some weird ooze. So, I think, was it you, Jerome, who pointed out that the penguin has no consistency in his blood? It's green, it's red, it's both. That was Josh. Oh, that's Josh. Yeah. I'll take the credit, though. Yeah, you can have it. <laughs> Batman Returns was the third highest grossing film in America of 1992 and the sixth highest in worldwide totals. The film was declared a financial success, but Warner Brothers felt the film should have been more successful. <laughs> Parental backlash criticised Batman Returns with violence and sexual references that were unsuitable for children. What, like when the penguin comes in and goes, Ah, that's just the pussy I'm looking for. You didn't, you didn't think that would maybe... You know, probably could have been left out. Maybe. Maybe you Look. shouldn't have a sex pest in your movie then. <laughs> <laughs> I fill her void. McDonald shut down their Happy Meal tie-in with the film. <laughs> responded, I like Batman Returns better than the first one. There was this big backlash, but it was too dark. But I found this movie to be much less dark. Brilliant. Every word that comes out of Burton's mouth is a gem. Have you ever actually sat down and listened to any of his commentaries? No. No. Sit Sleep aid, seriously. <laughs> he is one of the most boring directors to listen to. This, again, I, I really love Sweeney Todd. Big Fish is a fantastic film. Still probably going to get a kick out of Beetlejuice, but uh, he is a boring man to listen to.
was it that was commenting that it sounded a lot like Nightmare Before Christmas? Me. <laughs> yeah. Um, folks, we actually sat down and watched this all as one big party to the, together yesterday. We had Josh as well, who was going to be on the show, but he's currently doing Kane and Rinse, should be back for Mask of the Phantasm. It was a weird experience watching it with all of you guys, because it kind of changed it. I had, I've always really liked this film, and now I don't, and I'm not sure why. I don't think it's your fault. <laughs> don't blame us, blame the movie. We riffed it because it deserved it. But... But yeah, there's there's some there's some serious problems with this. I think some plot holes. Yeah, a mile wide. I've actually got a whole thing on the ending, so we'll save some of them for for, for the end. But uh, the, uh, the the beginning is stronger than the second half, most definitely. Um, who, who was really kind of unnerved by the whole throwing the baby into the sewer thing? I think was that Josh again? Probably. <laughs> it was the majority of us, really. Yeah, I don't think anyone was very comfortable with that. We just sat there going. What? <laughs> Childcare is really <laughs> terrible in Gotham City. Make it to an orphanage, for God's sake. This is what happens when Pee-Way Herman is your father. Pee-Way Herman. Pee-Way <laughs> him. Pee-Wee Herman. Yes, that is exactly that is exactly what happens when Pee-Wee Herman is your father. You will get thrown in the sewer. Um, so yeah, it starts off with with the poor penguin, baby penguin being being thrown in there, and th- there's repeated sort of attempts on Burton's part to make penguin kind of this sort of tragic outsider, and like he'd, he'd had extreme success with uh, Edward Scissorhands, and I think he was trying to do the same sort of thing again, but it's really difficult because the penguins. Re- incredibly antisocial and nasty and unpleasant and a sex best yeah a- there's there's very little about him that's at all sympathetic yeah and you're saying that as a big fan of this film uh, Sharon do you want to give us a basis for, for why you really really like this film um Generally. well it, we'll probably get to talking about the, the characters in a bit more depth but I've always been a huge fan of this interpretation of Catwoman mm. um and I thought Michelle Pfeiffer did an absolutely fantastic job I like the um her her dialogue is is quite obviously quite cartoonish and, and at times somewhat pun laden, um, but um, but generally I, I I like the way she's presented and uh, the the character of Selena at the beginning um, being this incredibly put upon secretary who clearly has more to her than. Shrek is utilising and she's patronised by him and she's patronised by her mother and the idiot who ditches her on the answering machine and the the people who are trying to sell perfume to her and all the rest of it and when Shrek pushes her out of the... I should, I should Actually, call him uh, Max, really. I'm gonna, I was going to say exactly that. Let's call him Max. There is another Shrek. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's just going to confuse me. When Max pushes her out of the window and we talked about this while we were watching the film yesterday... It's almost like it, it triggers kind of an emotional breakdown for her, um, and it changes her character entirely. And she, you know, completely rejects this um, pretty pink setup that she's had. Um, mm. it seems as though it's almost been imposed on her unwillingly, and she goes completely to the, the reverse of that. And you know, the black vinyl comes out, and the claws, and the whip, and all the rest of it. And I, and I was what 13, 14 when I first saw this film, and I was at that age where I was pushing the pink out of my life and it just struck a real chord with me and I've enjoyed the film repeated viewings of it up until fairly recently and watching it last night I still really really liked Catwoman but that was about it the rest of it 
I was I was very surprised at my reactions to it last night. Mm. So evidently, the lesson you've learned is you shouldn't watch Catwoman with myself <laughs> and the rest of us. We well, I'm not. I'm not blaming you, Neil. <laughs> not holding you responsible for that. I, d- I don't think it was that at all. The second, I mean, the second half of it, I was practically falling asleep. Now I can't blame you guys for that one. I think every film should be seen with friends just to just to test it ultimately because you might just be putting it in a, a bubble up up in top of an ivory tower. You see, the funny thing is watching this with, especially with Sharon last night. Um, I hate Cat. I, well, I used to hate Catwoman in this movie because it wasn't Catwoman. I was mm. used to Catwoman being the animated series one. Yeah, the style I had in the animated series, but the, the competent, well, the equal of Batman in in certain regards and things like that. But I like the, the take that Sharon said on Catwoman. This the whole mental breakdown, which kind of works for that character. It's really interesting until Burton blows it at mm. the end with her. The fact mm. that it could be her having this mental breakdown turning her into Catwoman is a really cracking idea. I really like yeah. that. Yes, but mental illness does not make you bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, I have... Or a... electricity proof. No. I've, I've got a thing on that. Can I furnish you guys with just a little theory? Go ahead. Sure. Selena Kyle in this film has supernatural powers. She possesses the ability to be thrown from great heights onto concrete into glass, get shot point-blank with a 357 Magnum four times, and absorb an electrical charge of several thousand volts and keep going. She obviously feels pain, but her adamantium skeleton is clearly unbreakable and her mutant healing factor deals with the damage to her internal organs. She also has razor-sharp claws. Dude, dude, dude. That's, that's Wolverine, not Catwoman. <laughs> no, it's Catwoman! <laughs> Needless to say, these powers are somewhat out of step with the scientifically based world of Batman. And I say scientifically in inverted commas, especially with what's coming up in the next two. Yeah. Oh, and don't, and don't forget, somehow she seems to have Black Canary's power as well at one point. Yeah, she has yeah. glass with her sonic scream. You did say yesterday, Shan, that um, you were originally really impressed by Christopher Walken, but now... Well, I think when I first saw it, it was the first time I'd ever seen Christopher Walken, <laughs> and I thought, you know, wow, this, you know, this larger-than-life, horrible um, character with this really twisted way of talking, and you know, he's really, really interesting. And then I saw more Christopher Walken, and I realised <laughs> that's all he does. Just like he doesn't act, <laughs> he just no. talks. Just comes on, and it's Christopher Walken, and that's pretty much what people hire him for. He was at least entertaining the whole way through. And clearly clearly he wasn't taking it seriously in ways that other actors... I mean, like, Michael Keaton appeared to be taking the whole film, like, super seriously. When he and was in it. Yeah, but yeah for, that, for that three minutes he was in it. Speaking of Batman, um, I've just got one bullet point here. Batman burns a fire eater alive using the afterburner from his Batmobile. So... Batman murders fools. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks again, Tim. Nice to know you read the comics. So, no, it it would appear Batman still continuously kills. Now, now that fire eater looked like he was about to stop, drop and roll, but he could probably just have died from third degree burns there. It was an afterburner. You were dead. You were barbecue. And then there's the bomb bit later. Yeah. There, There had to be... Other ways. Batman could just have stopped him. I mean, he wasn't even a threat to the Batman. He was like breathing a bit of fire. And Batman's like, right, I'm going to fucking kill you, son. (laughs) Turns around and blasts him with fame, which is hilarious for the kids. But if you actually think about it, it's genuinely cold-hearted. Hilarious for the kids. Watching somebody burn to death is hilarious (laughs) for the kids. Yeah, maybe not. It's hilarious for twisted little 12-year-old boys. Yes. You have to wonder how they got away with it as well, because Bob Kane was a 
consultant on both this and the first one. And he created the character, so... <laughs> Maybe they interpreted Batman doesn't kill to Batman doesn't stab people in the chest on purpose. <laughs> doesn't shoot people in the head. Yeah. It's, it's, it's turned up so many times in so many really good Batman stories that to ignore it like this really seems like an oversight. Okay, so, moving on. Um, the Catwoman outfit? As in the bits that work and the bits that really don't? Uh, the heels thing again. She has the when heels. it when she does acrobatics. She does, there's a point where she's doing cartwheels, and she's clearly wearing flats. And then she lands from the last cartwheel, and she's clearly wearing stiletto heels. And then there's another bit where I can't remember what it is she does, but it's she climbs something. a building. Oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and In heels. heels. Um, if I was going to devise the most unsuitable footwear for climbing a sheer brick building, it would be stiletto heels. A funny little fact, um, they went through 60 cat suits during the six months of shooting. And they cost a thousand dollars each? <laughs> what a waste! Okay, well, actually, the most wasteful thing in uh, Batman, actually, we'll talk about during the Batman and Robin show, but Jesus, that whole film was... was, was I was going to say, was that the most <laughs> wasteful thing? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what I was thinking of was basically that um, Schwarzenegger cost $24 million for that film. $24 million for one of the most laughably poor performances of all fucking time. And they paid him all that money, and then he, he walked away and smoked cigars. And, uh, How just much did his, he get for being governor of California? Less. And just his costume, that freeze suit, cost $1 million. <laughs> Everyone put your pinky up and say it with me. Three, two, one. One million dollars. So... There's that, and that I consider to be a grotesque waste of money. Right, so the Penguin. The Penguin for Mayor? I mean, that's the, the, the essential fallacy of the film, is that they're trying to make this odious man into a mayor, and it's sort of a, it's a take on politics, and it's a child's view of politics. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just vote for this guy. He suddenly appeared out of a manhole, holding <laughs> a baby one day. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but the giant duck didn't come up the manhole cover. Yeah, no, no it didn't. It was on the giant duck, and then he went up, and then he, he had a baby. But the, the people of Gotham, and I'll talk about this in a bit when it comes down to being gullible, fell for the old, I'm going to steal this baby. Oh, no, what's this? There's a giant penguin down here. No, don't hurt me. I'll give you back the baby. And it's like, seriously, you're going to fall, fall for that? That is how you embrace this guy? Evidently. There is a slightly... Um I, I don't even know if I can justify using the word interesting, but um, there's, there's a slight twist on it that usually it's the, uh, the shady businessman wanting the politician in his pocket mm. so that he can push through all his dodgy deals without being challenged. But in this case, um, the penguin is actually blackmailing Max to get him into uh, the, the position of mayor. So that's Why does he want to be mayor, by the way? I, I, he doesn't seem to have an overall plan. So he can fuck shit up. Wasn't there something to do with killing the firstborn children or something? No, that's that when they piss him off. Yeah. 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 But then um, that's when they snub him. What his overall plan appears to be to be rich and live in a big house. There's easier ways. There is. Yes. <laughs> Just take a kickback from Max to give you money. He could do that. He has plenty. But then we we talked about Catwoman having very little clear motivation either. Yeah, no, I, 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 I asked that of Sharon when we were on, on the way out. It's like, before she actually has that confrontation with the Penguin, 
what does she want? Because she's not a jewel thief. She's not like Tyler Durden. She's not like the Joker. She's not trying to cause chaos or bring people down or make people crazy or scare people. She's not even robbing places. Blowing that store up appeared to be just a byproduct of her going crazy. And it's there's not no clear revenge element to it yeah. or anything she like that. Cl- she clearly has a, a vendetta against Max, but she takes a sweet time. She could have killed him on any number of occasions, but doesn't. What? Why? Because the police will find out she's off the handle. So, so it sums the movie up as a whole. What yeah. was the point? Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it till we started looking at because you know, doing Gonzo really does open your eyes to actually paying close attention to to what the building blocks that a movie is made up of. And if they've missed big chunks out, you can see through the walls and go, I shouldn't be able to see the other side. Definitely. Yeah. The signal goes out. An intruder has been spotted at Wayne Manor. Down in the Batcave Command Center, it's time for Gotham's greatest hero, Batman Returns. Not a bad next. Batman makes a crashing entrance and sends the penguin flying back to his Arctic hideout. Look! The Batmobile! Follow it, Dad! Now you can get a Batman car and a McDonald's Happy Meal. That's Catwoman's Coop, Batman's launching Batmobile, or the Penguin's Roadster. One toy with each Happy Meal you buy, only at McDonald's. You are all that stands between Gotham City and the forces of destruction in the Batman Returns handheld beam from Tiger. Right now at Taco Bell, you can collect free Batman cups, like a free Batmobile cup. Now with Batman, the cereal It's here. A smashing taste. A honey that pale and part of your complete breakfast. Batman cereal. Hello. Gotham Corner Store? Yes, we seem to be down to our last diet cook. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. Another, got another bullet point here. Batman kills an ex-circus employee with three sticks of dynamite. As you mentioned earlier, he blows that guy up. He puts them in his belt, kicks him down a hole, and then he explodes, killing him. <laughs> and Batman walks off smiling. Yeah. There are other ways he could take out that guy without killing him. It's just a kick him in the nuts for a start. Yeah. Batman doesn't seem to be very good at fighting in this, either. (laughs) I think that's down to the suit, though, isn't it? Josh was constantly telling us that the suit was not very mobile. No. But, I mean, he actually gets into lots of physical scraps in the first one. And this, his grappling with the circus fools appears to be more sort of working out novel ways to dispatch them rather than actually hand-to-hand combat. I think we said it when we looked at the when we did the previous film that a lot of the shots of him fighting in that one you don't see him fighting. Mm. You see an arm coming into shot and punching them, or <laughs> a leg, or you know a shape rather than him in you know profile or whatever. Yeah, where you can see the whole body. So advice for the next Batman film: make it that the bat suit makes you extremely streamlined and capable of doing excellent hand-to-hand fighting. In fact, they could probably make him a, a martial artist of some kind and actually give us a bit more. I, I, I really you like know, that, that, the that, Kexi in, in the, the Nolan films, but maybe make it a bit more um, more of a flourish to it. Well, he does I, at least mention in the Nolan films 
I think it's in Dark Knight where he says, I need to be more yeah. mobile. When he gets yeah, like, by move his dog. head around. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, actually, yeah, do you want, anyone do want to talk about Bruce and Batman in this film? They were in this film? They were in there. <laughs> Did I blink and miss them? Neil, you were going to say something about the suit, I think, just now. No, it's just... I think it's more just the fact that that's... We couldn't work that suit out either, because he gets shot, and mm. he's okay. Yet mm. Catwoman can sort of pokey-stab him with her, her claws. Thing. I think... Doesn't she get under his armour? Like, she finds a, a chink in his armour and like sticks her finger up it inside... Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Batman's eyes bug. <laughs> and go crossed. Uh, yeah. It's a di- I mean, it's a, it's a sli- slightly different, more streamlined, lighter suit of armour, apparently, but he doesn't use it. And then when he actually goes to get into his armour, he goes to his wardrobe, it's a really boring-looking wardrobe of rubber suits. And why do you have so many? Identical ones as well. Is he just stripping off every now and again? in the middle of the street so they have to go back and get a new suit mm. and when he tears his cowl off at the end could he just have <laughs> taken his cowl off at the end and then put it back on again when he left you can, I suppose you can justify having spares for the amount of times he's been shot stabbed mm. and ripped his cowl off but <laughs> that many is a bit the, ridiculous it's, it's mainly just under presentation like they're just on hangers <laughs> Why does a man have so many rubber suits in his wardrobe? Does he have bat socks? And uh, it wasn't even that impressive because I mean, in the first movie, when he goes to put the bat suit on, it's sort of it's in a vault, isn't it? It's like a vault door that opens. It seems very theatrical, big. You know, it's like an epic moment. Where in this, it's like, oh, I'm just, I don't, oh, I need to put the bat suit on uh, to the wardrobe. You want to talk about epic moments of putting on the bat suit? Mask of the Phantasm. Yes. Okay. Right. So. The turning point of this film. Anyone actually know what the? Uh, can, can you guess where I think the the film actually becomes irrevocably broken and doesn't work? It only works for moments briefly after this point. The possession of the Batmobile. Uh, it's ever so slightly before that, but it leads up to it. It's when uh, Catwoman meets the Penguin, and when they're in the, his bedroom, Ugh. like, and he's making horrible, leery comments at her, and she's being not much better, and. She eats his bird. He starts to tries to stick his blade in her cat. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, from then on, it basically it it takes a kind of. I hadn't even realised that that was it, but basically that was the point where we actually sort of stopped paying attention to it a bit, and got it got quite boring and confusing and muddled. And um, yeah, that, that that's pretty much the turning point. The Shortly afterwards, when the Penguin has said, you know, he's hoping Batman will attend the festivities and glaring at the camera, in exactly the same way as the Joker did in the last one, saying, look, I'm going to start some shit, Batman, what are you going to do? Bruce invites Selina over to watch it on TV. Why? Did he not suspect he might be needed? As it turns out, he's needed, so he has to go away quick. Oh, yeah, speaking of being needed, can we talk about the over-elaborate bat effect? <laughs> At the beginning. <laughs> I like the, the, the shot of it like coming streaming through the window and up against the wall. That's is what good. you call the trailer shot. Yeah, it's good, but to get to it, he had to have like various reflective bat mirrors on his roof like, plain as the eye can see, like, up there, so anyone visiting Wayne Manor would go, what are they, Bruce? 
Oh, I'm rumbled. He'd have to have them elsewhere as well, otherwise they're just pointing the bat signal at his roof. <laughs> yeah, which kind of just says, Batman lives here. <laughs> Very true. And the way they're all angled towards each other as well, a particularly heavy bird crashing into just one of them renders his entire communication system useless. Speaking of particularly heavy birds... Okay, so the Bruce and Selina bit shortly after that... In fact, all of the Bruce and Selina scenes are actually kind of good because Michelle Pfeiffer as Selina, when she's around Bruce, seems to be taking things seriously and Michael Keaton seems to be taking things seriously and they both take their relationship aspect of it seriously and it sort of plays out. Weren't the two of them actually in a relationship at that point? Oh, really? Um, I'm sure I read that when I was looking into stuff for the first one. Well, okay, I, I did not know that, if that's the case. I could be wrong. <laughs> well, tell you what, if you, fo- oh, excuse me. if you folks at home are hearing this, then it's true. <laughs> yep, that works. <laughs> okay, and, and yeah, so all the bits when he's talking with her, and, and you actually get kind of the feeling that they would work as a couple, which has always been the case with Selena and, and uh, Bruce, so ultimately Nolan has that to beat for uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, he's just made it a little bit more complicated because he's going to have Selena Kyle and Talia Al Gould in there. Ah, uh, so Batman's going to be like Bella. Yeah. Oh God, no! Ah, no, no, no. I like best. Okay. Um, Only if he takes off the bat suit, curls up in a corner of the cave, and cries until the end of the film. <laughs> so, that would be in the sequel. So. <laughs> The remote-controlled Batmobile scene. Now, this was the one where we first started asking questions that had no answers. How did they get the blueprints to the Batmobile? The whole thing about, you flush it, I flaunt it. Bruce did not flush the blueprint to the motherfucking Batmobile. (laughs) (laughs) He would have burned them, if anything. Or kept them, perchance, because he might have needed them. (laughs) Wouldn't have said, Alfred, just throw those in the trash. There's no way. There is no way they could get them. And unfortunately, everything for the rest of the movie depends on them having those blueprints. And they give no explanation. None is given. Isn't it? So because they have these magical blueprints, they know the frequency to unlock the Batmobile. And there's no other security measures for it. They just press a button and it unlocks. You were and saying when we were watching it, Batman doesn't even have a little thing that bleeps and say, Hey, Batmobile's unlocked. What? Yeah, just in case. He's just like, no, that's fine. This and then they get in there and they rewire the whole thing. And the monkey helps! Where did the, the, the monkey come from? Where'd the monkey come from? And how did it learn to weld? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then Penguin controls the Batmobile in one of those... Outside the supermarket Batmobile cars. Well, they ride alongs or something, aren't they? Something like that. I can't remember what they're called. I, I will say this, and, and, and pretty much any parent out there is probably going to agree with me on this. If you have a, parent, a child of this disposition, I fucking hate those things. Because when we walk past them, Lara goes, oh, and she jumps into it. It's like, come on, honey, we've got to go, we've got to go shopping, and she won't get out. So we put one pound in, and she goes on for like one minute, and then we say, okay, we've got to go now, and she goes, no! And it's like, so basically, I've just wasted a pound because she was going to be upset if I didn't give her a pound to go on it and she was going to be upset if I did. So I might as well just ignore the thing. So it's just there to steal your money and not bring any actual joy. Oh, I hate those things. 
A little bit of personal hate you had to get out of yourself there. Totally. Uh, back me up on this, parents. So, Tyriad, you must have experienced these things. <laughs> I bet he has. <laughs> okay, right. Um, so, either way, the penguin's in one of these things. This doesn't make any sense! And he's driving along, like, controlling the Batmobile, and Bruce goes, Ugh, and he's, like, checking about the place. Yeah, and but it, Batman yeah, seems to forget how to drive the thing, because he's hitting switches left, right, and centre. He's like, dude, you designed this. You made it. Do you don't know what these switches do? There's got to be a kill switch. At one Although, point, to be fair, the switches would all do different things now, anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they got the blueprints. Again, how they get the blueprints? And, and seriously, can can I hire those clowns to, like, work on my housemate's car? Because they rewired that thing in, what, three minutes? Yeah. That's better than my local garage. There was no sucking of air through their teeth. occupation. <laughs> yeah, we could rewire the Batmobile. We don't have the parts. Uh, <laughs> Gotta get it off my brother's circus. It'll cost you. So, yeah, and everyone falls for the whole um, hacked Batmobile thing at, like, imbeciles and the stupid people of Gotham they fall for the baby trick they fall for the batarang trick like you know everyone knows Batman definitely killed this woman and then they fall for the Batmobile trick and then they fall for the voiceover trick as in the whole you know I played this stinking city like a harp from hell I've just put two more notes here why do they love him those are different takes to the ones he was recording while he was in the Batmobile and that's not how CDs work he oh. even scratches it like vinyl. That's really not how CDs work. Well, do you have to take the stupid test to live in Gotham in the Burton yeah. universe? It's the only thing that makes sense. They didn't. I mean, I would say they didn't seem as stupid in the first one, but they did. They turned up for the Joker, a known killer, doing his parade, and he gave them money and then tried to kill them, and they were surprised. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> God. So, I mean, yeah, everyone's still stupid in the next two, um, and it's not until Nolan's well, film well, where people sit. They're, they're at the most stupidest in Batman and Robin. I, I've forgotten it. I don't know. I, I cannot verify that, but I would... Trust me. Think, yes, probably. I know that they added that awful, like, hey, Brucey, paparazzi woman for the for the for um, for those films. Oh, she... Oh. But she was just one turd in a giant festering water closet. So, back to Batman Returns on that note. Yes, anyway. So, the whole snatching sleeping children thing. And Gotham's police problem. Where are the police? I Shooting everyone. Yes! <laughs> yes! In the back. The police... They run away. <laughs> genuinely understaffed. No wonder the city needs Batman. The police don't know what the fuck they're doing. At least in the Nolan films, the police are so up against it, and obviously so, that even adding extra numbers isn't going to help. But, I mean, these guys seem genuinely incompetent if circus performers are able to snatch away sleeping children. And it's like, even if the parents were home, what difference would that make? These guys have got guns. It, it feels like, going back to these two movies, that Burton only had a passing interest in Batman as a whole and found the villains more interesting. Mm. But he didn't even do a particularly good job with the villains in this one. No. Well, he completely torpedoes the Penguin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Um, the, the masquerade when they're actually at the masquerade that is the last high point of the film because I don't know if you noticed this and it, it's, almost, it's so good that it's almost like it's an accident of the film Bruce and Selina come without masks because Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne are now the masks that they wear they are in fact Batman and Catwoman which is really neat it is a nice touch mm. 
And that little interchange when they both find out that they're, they're definitely Batman and Catwoman, they definitely know at that point, because it has been given away, and they look into each other's eyes and they realise that it's the truth, making the unmasking at the end totally redundant. Um, oh, that was the other one. Napalming Catwoman. In the arm. <laughs> like flesh-melting acid. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. It really is. What if a bit of that had gone in her eye and blinded her? I mean, what? All on her jugular vein and killed her. Seriously, you know, um, Tim, you're not playing D&D. You can't throw, you know, a vial of acid. Yeah. Throw, throw a vial of acid. Plus four damage to your arm. <laughs> yeah, I do like the... Twelve years in prison. I do like the bit when they're necking on the sofa and then they end up running their fingers inadvertently over one another's scars and, and trying to keep the other off them. It's almost like... Not specifically, oh, the, she'll know I'm Batman because he doesn't have any clue that she's Selina at that point. He's just trying to keep that side of himself away from her and avoid awkward questions and ditto her. going to talk about the final confrontation between Batman and the Penguin. It's a little confusing, but here is the confluence of events. Batman races towards the Penguin's lair in his new Batski through the sewer pipes, at the same time hijacking the Penguin's frequency and preventing the Penguin's as in the little penguins, from launching enough explosives to destroy Gotham. These explosives, like everything else the penguin owns, such as flame-throwing umbrellas and an angry, violent circus troupe, were flushed down the toilet over the years by careless Gothamites. The penguin's ex-circus workers flee at the thought of the bat. Penguin tries to escape in a large duck. Batman crushes his duck with the batski and they have a fight. During that fight, Batman pulls out a detonation device that is beeping for no apparent reason. The exploding penguins, the little ones, then turn up at the abandoned zoo they are fighting in. The penguin, the big one, easily disarms Batman of the detonator and presses the button, something Bruce anticipated as its secondary function is to release a swarm of bats from the trunk of the Batmobile. They home in on the penguin, causing him to crash backwards through a skylight, falling to his death. The penguins also fire off in the little ones enough explosives to destroy Gotham, something Batman has just allowed Penguin to do. As the zoo explodes around them, Batman confronts Selina, who wishes to kill Max. Despite murdering three people in this film, Batman tells her he cannot allow this to happen, claiming that the law applies to both of them, something which is patently not true, considering his status as a masked vigilante wanted by the police. He then rips off his own cowl in full view of Max, knowing that their intention is to send the man to jail, along with the secret identity of Batman, despite the fact that in an earlier scene, both of them found out each other's identities. Bruce asks Selina to come back with him, but she decides that she would rather sleep rough on the slowy streets of Gotham than follow up on a potentially fulfilling relationship with a broken kindred spirit, choosing self-destruction over the possibility of emotional healing for both of them. Max then shoots Batman once and Selina four times with a 357 Magnum. Both of them survive, Batman because he is wearing really thick rubber and Selina because she has the power of Wolverine. 
She rationalizes that because she is fond of cats that she has nine lives, counts off the seven she has lost already and throws the eighth away, undergoing agonizing pain in an electric murder-suicide with Max that fries his carcass like overdone fajita meat. The penguin, the big one, mortally wounded and bleeding both red blood from scratches and green blood from internal hemorrhaging, then attempts to kill Batman one last time. He fails, dies, and is given a Viking funeral minus the fire by six penguins the size of little people who scrape his capacious frame down a concrete ramp and into a pool of industrial waste. The music and tone is sad, as though the world didn't understand this creature, too weird to live, too rare to die. The director was hoping the audience would conveniently forget that he is a psychotic, hate-filled asshole without compassion, reasoning, or any other redeeming features. And a sex pest. The penguin, I mean, not Tim Burton. He's just. An... <laughs> you just want to get that, make that clear. He is Tim Burton is just an occasional twat, and this is one of those occasions. He's not a sex pest that we are aware of. <laughs> no, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. So yeah, that's the. I, we were talking over this end bit, but I actually watched this again today to just make sure of it. And I always just sort of tune, like, tuned out the logic of the end and just sort of saw it as a big showdown. But it doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. Like, okay, one. Where did the army of penguins actually come from? Two. How long do you have to train a penguin to march to the centre of Gotham with explosives strapped to their back? They were remote controlled, but that doesn't even work. Why did they have weird, why did they have weird little cyber helmets on with you know the Star Wars aiming thing? And then at the end, like I said, there's enough explosives there to really do massive damage to Gotham, and it gets fired off in the zoo, and the the like the ceiling doesn't crash in and kill everyone. An abandoned zoo. Yeah. At least they explain kind of the circus freaks and all the rest of it at one point. Do they win? Um, I think we were probably talking over it, but yeah. right. um, Bruce is sat now. flicking through newspaper clippings of um, circus sideshows and the bird boy and all this sort of stuff. So he, right. so he found his way out of the sewer at some point. All right. And to was a circus. The boy in a circus. Apparently. And then went back into the sewer. At the zoo with the penguins and all of this stuff is Burton's Burton's idea or whoever Sam Ham even whoever wrote the scripts. I mean, we could keep blaming Burton on this. It's just that it all fits with his ethos. But the penguin is not like this in any other format. No, is he? He's just he's he's a he's a rich aristocrat. His his family have the Cobblepots have something in it for the Waynes, Um, and uh, you know he's kind of a, a, a middleman villain. Yeah, he's usually portrayed as the fence. Yeah. The closest other version would probably be Arkham City. Yeah. yeah. Where he's Not a bit more of a grotesque. Mr. Batman! <laughs> yes, and he is grotesque and played by Nolan North. Oh, one neat thing about this film, uh, we technically kind of get to see the Bat-Pod a good 16 years early, when the Batmobile, all those bits fly off it and it goes through the, the big crack at police. The very phallic... Yes, the bat penis is basically the same as the bat pod. It's like, right, when your Batmobile's fucked, you can escape in this high-speed vehicle thing. Well, no, I don't think it was particularly the Batmobile was fucked. It was just the fact the radio was going down had this really narrow gap. Yeah. So he just jettisons all the side stuff and it suddenly becomes really tiny. Yeah. It, it, I, I at least the bat pod made sense. I did ask why the hell did he jettison those side bits, but aren't the police going to pick through the wreckage and go, 
This has got Bruce Wayne's prints all over it. But apparently, I was reading uh, Under the Hood t- today, Bruce Wayne and Alfred's fingerprints don't exist on any uh, records. That's yeah. convenient. It's very convenient, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but isn't it going to say, like, Wayne Tech on there somewhere, maybe? Oh, no, it wouldn't be that thick, would it? <laughs> I don't think he'd stamp if Name. lost, please return if to that man. Under Wayne Manor. <laughs> Batman Returns would be the last film in the Batman film series that featured Tim Burton and Michael Keaton as director and leading actor, respectively. With Batman Forever, Warner Brothers decided to go in a lighter direction to be more mainstream, with the intention of making a family film. Well, we did say when we were watching this last night, there was some particularly violent sections. Yeah, she slices up a dude's face. Uh, no, sorry, I say a dude, a rapist's face. That's true. And um, penguin biting the guy's nose off. And yep. It's not off, it's just... Well, yeah. There was a, 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 quite a jet of blood off it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just the violence, the, the constant, like... You, you're right, he is a sex pest. Yeah. <laughs> And I think kids may have just been freaked out by seeing Danny DeVito and wondering how a man could look like that. Didn't even need makeup. Uh, did it even bother explaining why he was deformed? Penguin. No, it was, it was just birth defects. It wasn't. Yeah, but I'm quite sure birth defects don't make you eat the local, you, you know, your parents' cat. I did like that bit. I really do like the bit where the cat gets eaten. What causes that is if you keep your child in the cage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if I you don't feed it, it, it might eat the cat. It's not always going to happen, though. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, let's finish this one off. Hang on. Uh, the last thing that was happening, Neil was banging his head on the table. So commence banging. Before writing began, Burton was interested in a third film, but Keaton would only return with Burton as director. As the studio wanted a more family-friendly approach, Burton was to serve only as producer. With Warner Brothers moving on developing for Batman Forever in June 1993, a Catwoman spin-off was announced. Michelle Pfeiffer was to reprise her role with the character not to appear in Forever because of, and this is a direct quote, she was in her own little movie. How fucking patronising can you get? Well, the funny thing is, go watch the Catwoman movie. Yes, I'm not, not gonna. I'm about to talk about it. Hang on. Oh. I want to talk about how that, what became of that idea. Oh, okay. Burton became attached as a director while producer, this is the Catwoman movie, while producer Denise DeNovi and writer Daniel Waters also returned to the Catwoman spin-off with Burton. In January 94, Burton was unsure of his plans to direct Catwoman or an adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher. In the end, he did neither. On June the 6th... What would he have done in 1994? Around that time. Conversations with Vincent? Oh, Ed Wood. Oh, Ed Wood! No, much better use of your time, Tim. Honestly. Well done. Ed Wood, way better than Catwoman. Uh, on June the 6th... started a trend that's still carrying on with him, isn't it? Yeah, buggering Johnny Depp. Oh, he also then did Mars Attacks, which I actually really like as well. Apparently not everyone likes it. Uh, Waters turned in his Catwoman script to Warner Brothers the same day Batman Forever was released. Burton was still being courted to direct. Waters joked, turning it in the day Batman Forever opened may not have been the best logical move. In the, it's the celebration of the fun for the whole family Batman, Catwoman is definitely not fun for the whole family script. The film laboured in development hell for years, with Pfeiffer getting replaced by Ashley Jard. The film ended up becoming the critically panned Catwoman in 2004, starring Halle Berry. And a few little things regarding Catwoman. Initially, there were debates about the writing credits with... I'm just going to say this very slowly. 
for the number of writers involved in this in the arbitration. Twenty-eight. Yeah. That explains a lot. Yep. Catwoman received overwhelmingly negative reviews from critics and currently holds a 10% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 178 reviews. That's still 17.8 reviews, like. And I'll put it this way, as far as bad movies go, that's not bad. Yeah, I've, I've, we've heard worse. I Ooh, actually own it, so... Two or something. You own it. I own it, and I've watched it. It and was... A tough call deciding whether or not to review it for this series, but I just thought it's nothing. I wouldn't, Batman. It's nothing to do with Selena Kyle, even. It's not. No, the only thing that you can say about that Catwoman movie is her sort of origin, the how she's turned into Catwoman, is very, very similar to. Mm. She's Selena trying to or something, isn't she? She's actually flushed down a pipe. Brilliant. Much like, <laughs> uh, much like the Batman franchise was as well. Yes. Boom, and indeed, boom. Film critic Bill Muller of the Arizona Republic suggested that maybe Berry should give back her 2001 Academy Award as a penalty. Aaron Magruder's The Boondocks ran a series of comic strips in which Riley is punished by being forced to watch Catwoman. He subsequently campaigns to have Catwoman considered to be a form of child abuse. The film received seven Golden Raspberry nominations in 2005, including Worst Supporting Actress, Sharon Stone, Worst Supporting Actor, Lambert Wilson, and Worst Screen Couple, Halle Berry, and either Benjamin Bratt or Sharon Stone. It won in the categories of Worst Picture, Worst Actress, Halle Berry, Worst Director, and, by the way, the, the director is simply known as Pitov. Avoid any director who calls themselves just one thing. They are a knob. And worst screenplay. This includes G, by the way. Berry, while clutching her Academy Award statuette, accepted the award for Worst Actress personally, saying, First of all, I want to thank Warner Brothers. Thank you for putting me in a piece of shit, god-awful movie. It was just what my career needed. She has gone on to speak frankly in interviews about her views regarding problems with the film. <laughs> like it exists. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it, pretty much, for, for uh, Batman Returns. The legacy is basically is the Catwoman film, because um, very little of Burton's uh, influence was really felt in the next two films, really. I mean, you, you maintained Michael Goff and the guy who played Jim Gordon, and that's about it. <laughs> this ends the story of Burton's Batman. I think, ultimately, we can look at this as a pendulum swing he swung it a bit too far in the dark direction so it had to swing back into the clownish direction too far and then it swung so high in that direction that the big swing back into the uh, into the dark basically went into serious but you see it's not just a matter of I mean ultimately dark is not necessarily quality and light is not necessarily quality I think I also wonder if some of the love because uh, wasn't this one's quite high on the pole in the forums, isn't it? Returns high on the pole. <laughs> I just starting to think that maybe Batman and Batman Returns the love for it is probably CMD <laughs> uh, cinematic nostalgia disorder. Mm. It got uh, it's got nine point seven percent of the votes uh, to Batman sixteen point seven percent of the votes. So I think when people go back and watch it again, they might consider. May. I mean, Mask of the Phantasm, which we're about to review, only got 6.9%. I want to address that imbalance. <laughs> you want to stand up for Mask of the Phantasm? Absolutely. Oh, she's not bad. I, I, going back to these movies, we're going back with everything that's gone, you know, beyond since then. You wouldn't, we're not looking at them as the, as the period they came out in. They are appropriate for the period, but since then we've had forever 
Robin, Mask of the Phantasm, uh, and and obviously the Nolan ones. It's it's going back and you go, ooh yeah, hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's still better than both of the uh, Schumacher ones, by far. Yeah, but I think we'll probably have more fun riffing the Schumacher ones. It remains to be seen. The last time I watched them, um, I actually got really depressed watching them. <laughs> it just felt awful. And Lyra was just wandering around, bored out of her mind, so they only have an appeal to kids. Which is not good, because that's at least one thing you could get by on saying, oh, maybe they yep. appeal to kids because they're big and dumb and bright and colourful and... No. Clearly not three-year-old kids. Oh, well. Okay, well, we, we'll see. We will see. And I'll see if I can try and get Lyra to see them again. Because I think she does like Batman. Um, we're actually going to get, um, by the end of the uh, series, a list of which, what order to show the kids Batman in. Because ultimately, it, it makes more sense to actually put them in an order where it's age-appropriate. It's not just like the uh, Star Wars films, where it's, you've got to put it... There's some sort of... <laughs> oh, that's easy. You just show them, you know... <laughs> Four, five, six, and then stop. <laughs> I refuse to call them four, five, six. The original trilogy. Yes. Okay. The good ones. Right. So, I mean, that's that's it for Batman Returns. Sharon, any more on this one? Um, no. I could get very um, verbally abusive about Tim Burton, frankly, and that's that's actually quite a big thing. Having said that because he used to be somebody that I would have listed as one of my favourite directors and mm-hmm. the, the uh, percentage of his films that I actually think are really good is getting smaller by the it year. Is. It is true. Um, I, there are still some that I think were <laughs> The more fantastic. crap films he makes and the more older films that he did that you go back to. Yeah, and read that have just pulled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do still... I really like Sleepy Hollow. Sweeney Todd is awesome. Um, Big Fish is really really fantastic and I do still like Ed Wood I've never been that big a fan of Mars Attacks but I mean Beetlejuice yes yes Beetlejuice is great Beetlejuice <laughs> don't say it again just seen on it's IMDB his next film is Frank that a remake of one of his old ones Frank and Weenie is a remake of a short that he did way back uh, in the day that was yeah that was what I was referring to you as a dog that gets brought back to life but this one's animated as well so it's yeah, probably I mean it might be good because his animated films tend to be better. I really like Corpse Bride. Going by the fact that the the poster says from the director of Alice in Wonderland. No. <laughs> See, this is this is the thing. Alice in Wonderland. He has to compensate for Alice in Wonderland for me to think he is one of you know a, a good director again because he, that's one sorry. of my favourite books ever and. He multi-buggered it he, he all did. on his own somehow. He did. He, he did horrendous things to it. I'm going to go ahead and say that that film is as animated as Roger Rabbit in terms of like, like 90% of what you see on screen isn't uh, practical, if you know what I mean. I've got to admit, I've avoided it. <laughs> like Good. the plague. Well done. I, I I, there's almost no use to see it unless you want to generate hate. No. See, Sharon's jo- joining other film fans whose other directors have dropped off, like me and John Carpenter, who hasn't done anything good since Escape from L.A. Oh, See, not not just not doing anything good. If if they just like stopped producing stuff, <laughs> just accepted that they were over then, the hill, then that would be okay because you could still look at the back catalogue and say, well, you know. Back in his day, he did some really fantastic stuff. But Burton has continued churning out multicolored, licorice all sort crap. This summer, 
Five lucky kids will follow in his footsteps. I want a squirrel. Don't touch that squirrel's nuts. Why is everything here completely pointless? But only one. Candy doesn't have to have a point. That's why it's candy. Will find his heart. There is a place like no place on earth. Some say to survive it, you need to be as mad as a hatter. Which luckily... I am Alice. It's you. You're back. Alice! Alice! Oh, super fat. Welcome home, Barnabas Collins. How soon can the horses be ready? We don't have horses. We have a Chevy. What sorcery is this? Reveal yourself, tiny songstress. They tried stoning me, my dear. It did not work. Johnny Depp. Wow! Yes, this is the Henchman Hotline. Gotham City, you say? Well, it's very funny you should call me today because right now we've got a special offer on clowns. Yes, they all used to work at a circus, but it burned down and there were questions about several children got a bit eaten. Oh, eaten Very eaten. Gobbled right up, they were. Oh, that's a selling point, Yes, that is a selling point. Uh, that's why I snapped them all up. Anyway, it's a, it's a group rate. If you hire three clowns, you get seven free. What you got? Oh, we've got all sorts. We've got clowns on bikes, clowns on trikes. We've got big hairy ones whose name is Mike. Uh, do you like stilts? We've got clowns on stilts with machine guns. Oh, they're very durable. You can set these guys on fire. You can blow them up. You can shoot them. They love it. A Batman, you say? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure these clowns will have no trouble with a Batman. Excellent choice, sir. I'll have them on the first creepy miniature train over to Gotham tomorrow morning. Oh, and if you're in the market for goons in Gotham, do keep an eye out for one of mine, Bob. I haven't seen him for about three years. The Penguin's awful. <laughs> he is. And the version of Catwoman in this is far from the worst one I've seen anywhere. It's just not the Catwoman that I'm used to, which is a bit different to you guys with the animated series where mine's come from some of the comics. Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook's Catwoman was brilliant. Um, that was after this, where they redesigned her with the goggles and all that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And she was the thief, and completely Batman's equal. Uh, actually, I will ask one last thing, Sharon. When she, when Catwoman says, "Bruce, I would love to go and live with you in your castle. I just couldn't live with myself," and she scratches him. Um, what the fuck is she talking about? I think it probably refers to the fact that if she just walked away from Max, knowing what it is he's he's responsible for, and that that ultimately he is um, trying to milk Gotham dry and that he's incredibly corrupt and, and incredibly yeah, harmful to, to people. Jail, if, if she knew jail. all that and didn't do anything about it, she couldn't live with herself. I, I always thought that was kind of what she was driving at. Yeah, but she's short-sighted, because if she and Batman actually teamed up 
as a crime-fighting duo, then the second Max gets himself out of jail, they can hammer down on him. Well, this is well, th- no, because this is her. This is, was her point that um, Bruce's thing was that Max should be tried and, and go to jail if he's done anything against the law. But her point was, well, he, he'll just buy off the judge and get out of it. She wants him dead. She mm. knows. And, and here, interestingly enough, is where uh, Burton kind of drops himself in the shit on that one. She knows Batman doesn't kill people, except in this. He does, but only henchmen, it appears. <laughs> I don't yeah, kill the villains. <laughs> henchmen don't count, and I can't kill the main villains apart from the Joker. Oh. All of that, the whole end of that movie doesn't make any sense because everything is, is a contradiction. So More than the bloody end of it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay, so on reflection, this film surprised the shit out of me and disappointed me in equal measure. Yes. CND, I'm telling you. Okay. I, right, I, so I can't watch A Few Good Men now, then, just in case it turns out to be awful. Okay, folks, for the love of God, tune in this Sunday if you've seen The Mask of the Phantasm. If you haven't, go and buy The Mask of the Phantasm. If you want a really good Batman story, that is it. And the fact that it's only got a few votes on the forum tells me not enough of you guys have seen it and you are missing out because it is really, really good. We are not bullshitting you. It's like an hour and 12 minutes and it is joyfully good. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Nice to see you. We'll be back for Mask of the Phantasm on Sunday and then after that we're going to Aliens again because I've got my Blu-ray player. And then we'll do Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, <laughs> Actually, I don't even think we're going to get to Alien Resurrection. Let me just check here. Yeah, no, after Aliens, we've, we're going to do Prometheus, because we'll actually be that close. Oh. Yeah, uh, and then we're going to have to finish off with the last Alien films after that. At which point, when the Alien films are all done after AVPR, we are going to go back to Batman, and then we will start on the Schumacher ones. That's how things are going to go. It wouldn't have happened had my PS3 not broken. Say la vie. But I kind of like the fact that we've sort of broken up the Batman films, and it's not just 11 in a row. We've got four, and then the other... Yeah, intermingling. intermingling. Gives us a bit of time to play the games as well. True, true. I've got to get on uh, Arkham City now, get some serious bat time in. Okay, and we're going to finish on Susie and the Banshees face-to-face, which is another one of the really good things about this film, which features very briefly at Max's Max Carade, uh, which also seems to feature Super Freak by Rick James... <laughs> recognize it immediately and it's probably better than anything Prince did for the first Batman film so there we go what do you mean it's better than Batman it's better than scandalous you've been listening to Digital Gonzo thank you very much to all my guests we will see you on Sunday I'm Batman (laughs) that's all I can think of to say at this point Uh, what a crap film (laughs) (laughs) is it Thank you.
Telling lies, the monster slide to reveal. 